Welcome all you podcast listeners to the Knife Journal Podcast, episode number 32. My name is James Noka, and I'm with Kyle Versteg, and we are here to entertain you for the next little bit. We've got all kinds of juicy tidbits of stuff to talk about after coming back from the Bark River Grind-In yep. over the weekend. Met all, this is like, met all this kinds like, of new people. Yep, this is like a, a little bit late because we had like one of those nasty busy weeks, so we didn't get a chance to record uh, since we've been back, but we've got some interviews that we did at the at the uh the grind in and uh and then all of this juicy news going on and yeah knife monkey business and yeah yeah <clears throat> and a cold yeah i, I brought I'm, some I'm kind of crud sick. back a lot of people are sick though i i'm hearing like everybody's getting all sick and stuff but yeah so it's, it's some kind of a some kind of a crud back from europe mm. i don't know what it is but it's it's invading our country Sort of you know, like hipsters invading our comp- country. <laughs> when I came back from the Philippines, I brought something nasty back, and it infected my entire state. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? You were patient zero, huh? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, and then th- there was this big outbreak around that time, and uh, it was the same exact stuff. So there was a big one in Iowa, and then... Pretty much everywhere where the other Team Rubicon members went, there were big outbreaks. <laughs> and nice. It was all the same thing. And so uh, apparently, like, uh, I don't know, we brought something really nasty, some mutated, like, you know, Filipino typhoon bird flu or something. But, well, you know, what's, what's it? I mean, to me, that's real interesting when you talk about that. You know, they talk about the cure for the common cold. Well, the reality is there's no there's no common cold. Every one of the viruses are are different, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, just just yeah. slightly different. It's it's um they're just tiny little mutations on existing viruses and things. But yep, eventually they, it's going to be the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> some virus like there's there's always some hope. Yeah, <laughs> I got my Northwind sword ready. Nice. And my seventeen hundred rounds, seventeen thousand rounds of twenty-two shells, I'm all set. Yeah, bring them on, baby, bring them on. Yeah. So, uh, what's what's uh, new with you, knife-wise? Anything? Any new knives? Yeah, you know, well, uh, I haven't had a chance to go and uh, and play with the um, uh, the tracker knife yet at all. Oh yeah. Um, I have been. I have been. Uh, I chopped a couple trees down with the axe that I hung over the weekend. Nice. Um, and I'll tell you what, all you bushcrafters can bushcraft that shit. That's a <laughs> four-pound head felling axe, boys. Nice. And anything else is, uh, you know, all your cute little cutesy little pictures of your Grant's first um, wildlife hatchet, because you don't even know the difference between a wildlife hatchet and a freaking woodcutting hatchet. Um it kind of cracks me up. Well, okay, so um, for our podcast, so you want to you want to cut cut a tree down? I got a four pound Otzen cop felling axe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I I pretty much have every model of Grand's Force Brooks that you know, besides the oddball ones. Like I don't have their like uh, 
hewing axe, and I don't have do the carpenter's have, axe. But do you have one of their tomahawks? No, I don't. Like I, the oddball stuff, I don't have. But I've got. Um, I have an American felling axe from them, mm-hmm. and it's actually really, really a nice axe. Right. You know, but it's never the one you see anybody buying and no. talking about bushy shit. Well, they what they like is they like the uh, small the, forest axe, the cutesy which, stuff. The cutesy yeah, it's stuff. it's cute. You're not gonna. We're going to get in trouble. But, you know, the thing is, is you're going to get me in trouble is what's going to happen. See, you're going to get off scot-free because you're the tolerant one. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and I'm going to get blamed. I think that they're, I think that those are, I mean, I do think that they're okay. I mean, I, I, I tease a lot. I have them. I use them. Yeah. The funny part about them is the fact that a lot of guys don't. Huh. Because it, cause they're really not. They're really hard to use. They're really hard to find a good use for them. I mean, if... if uh, Yeah, it's like, like the miniature version of, like, the real tool that you wish you had along. Right, exactly. The small forest axe. And I, I have one. Um, it's not it's not really useful for felling trees. It, it's useful for, like... like Taking boughs off a pine tree. That, and, and then, like you know, processing wood for your fire, like kindling yeah. and stuff. But, like, yeah. if you were going to try to, you know, fell a bunch of logs and stuff to build build some big lean-to and then have, like, your fire and then a wall in front of you of big, thick logs, like, you are you're you could do it with, with that, but it's going to be a You'd lot of... you freeze to death energy. in the process. Yeah. And so... Um, no, I, 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 agree, I agree with that. I think that they're, they're handy for doing things like... Um, Kindling. Uh, well, if you're making a shelter and you're using pine boughs and you're stripping pine boughs off, off, you know, limbing pine boughs off a tree. Yeah. You know, they're handy for stuff like that. Yeah. But, but that's that's pretty much. I mean, it, anything that's over like two inches in diameter. Two or I'm three inches. Kill yeah. my dog. That dog. Hang on a second. Clap. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. You, can you hear that barking? Yes, it's crazy. Okay, hang on. We were talking about the um, small forest axe. Now, yeah. I I wanted to say that I like the small forest axe, but the other offering from Grand Forest Books that's about that size um, that I actually prefer is the uh, hunter's axe. Mm-hmm. Um, that the only difference being that the handle is a little bit different shape. There's some um, texturing to the handle uh, a little bit back towards the. Um, the butt of the handle there and then uh the pull on the axe is like smoothed over right um and it's, made, it's made for skinning moose yeah well so I mean, what that's you, literally what that's made for yeah that well so so what you do and i've i've done a i cleaned my deer this way um this last year is you, i i always gut them in the field and then because usually it's a long ways away from any kind of a shop and so i'd rather not carry all that shit around on my back mm-hmm. and then I got them in the field and then drag them back to um, uh, the place with the gambrel and then hang them up and then, uh, you know, skin them and do all the processing and stuff. Well, this last year I took and I just wanted to test that, the pull of that axe. And basically what you do is you start the skin and you pull down a little bit and then you use the pull of that axe and you whack, whack, whack. And then that separates the skin from the carcass and then... Every once in a while, you just turn it around and use the sharp edge of the axe to cut little fibers and things here and there. But it actually works really well. 
Um, I suppose it'd be even more valuable on like a really, really large animal like a moose well, or something. Uh, that's what it actually is designed for. Okay, is, is a big is a big critter like a moose. Uh-huh. Um, because you use that you use that to like bang between the between the the hide and the yeah and and the and the fat. And then you can <clears throat> use it for cutting off like the forelegs and stuff like this, right. so that it. Um, you know, and then uh, let's see what else. But so, there, but well, anyways, back to that that axe that I got. Mm-hmm. Um, guy walks into the hardware store the other day, and um, he has this head, axe head. It's an Oxenkopf axe head, which is a German company that they're kind of the higher end. Um, a little bit higher end axe company, you know, yeah, like Grantsforth, but not probably not as well known. They make the same models. They make they 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 are not after the um uh that market of bushcrafting and and I mean they make they make a lot of competition axes. They make a lot of uh, they, they they make stuff that like you're gonna actually use right and right. not just like <clears throat> take pictures with your like Mora. And crop. Right, <laughs> exactly, and and the um, and so this is a this is a um, I can't think of the model number, but it's a it's not an American felling axe. It's it's got a it looks almost like a like a it's um, a broad axe. Yeah, it it's a like. it's almost looks like a well, it almost looks like a like an executioner's axe. Right. Yeah. That's and only only the it, there's not, not as quite much as beard. dramatic. Yeah, there's right. not as much beard on you, on yours as there is on like a true right. executioner's axe. Right. But, but it but you know the what's funny is it goes up and down. I mean yeah. the curve goes up and down. It's a, it's a yep. neat axe. It really is a neat axe. And and um and but it weighs four pounds. I mean a typical a typical American universal axe that the one you buy in the local hardware stores is um is not a uh um it's like three pounds. Yeah, at the most. And they're, they're really not great for anything. I mean, they don't. They don't. They they cut okay. They cut trees down okay. Uh-huh. They they usually split a little better than a regular felling axe. Well, I know they split better than a felling axe does, but they don't really split as good as they could. Um, they're just kind of they're they're just kind of they don't do anything really great. They just yeah. do everything kind of okay, and that's what I think when people handle an axe like that. And they use it. They go down to the hardware store and they they buy an axe to do something with. And yeah. then they realize that they're not that great. And and so that's what they form their opinion about all axes. Yeah. But when you get an axe that's really designed to do a particular job, and you take it out and do that job with it, there's nothing like it. Yeah. That that's um, why I was saying that American felling axe by Grangeforth Brooks yeah. is the cat's ass. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's 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 sort of like my um it's sort of like my cruiser, my double bitted cruiser. Mm-hmm. When you take that double bitted cruiser and you and you limb and cut down a, a, a small tree with it, yeah, um, you can actually. I mean, I carry that in my jeep for when trees go across the road, yeah, because I can actually do that faster than you can get a chainsaw out and and start it up, yeah, and cut and clear out a tree. I mean, well, it's not. I mean, you obviously it's not for processing lots of firewood. But if you need to, something across the road, you need to, the road cleared out. It's way faster than a chainsaw is. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, if you well, if you start with a chainsaw running, it's not. But if yeah. you have to go through the process of going back to get your chainsaw, 
And um, it's it's a whole different. Come on, guys. But when you, I mean, when you, if you have to go through the process of going back to your garage, get your gas and oil, get your chainsaw, then put it back in your car, go back to wherever the road needs to be cleared. It's way faster. And, well, and I would argue that even if you have the chainsaw and the axe and the and I've seen this because you and I have done this. Yeah. Okay. Like this is not theoretical. I would argue that um just grabbing the axe and just giving it a couple whacks is going to be faster than getting the chainsaw out, starting it, let it letting it warm up and all this stuff. Yeah. Like by the time all of that is done, we've chopped the tree up and moved it off and we're on our way again. Right. Um, right. Now, for for axes, like I have, I have a couple. Well, I have a funny story about axes. So, like in the in Iowa, anyway, if you go to any farm, um, you're going to see like a double bit axe. Mm-hmm. And uh, reason being, they for for everybody that doesn't use axe terminology, a double bit axe has basically two heads on it. So it's like sharpened on each side, uh, and there's no um, part that you would use as a uh, driver for a wedge or anything on it. It's just basically two sharp edges. And uh, anyway, so um, one end of that is going to be fairly sharp, and that's the end that you will, like, swing and limb trees and, and basically do what Jim is describing. The other end is sharp, but it's more blunt and more rounded, and that's called the grubbing end. And so what you would do is you'd have a, uh, a tree in your fence line or something in your field and and uh, you you hop out you chop the tree down with the sharp end and then you dig the roots out with the grubbing end and so this is that's why pretty much every farmer in Iowa has a double bit axe well and so I have my grandpa's double bit axe that I cleaned up and rehung and all this stuff and I was I was talking to somebody once at one of these gatherings and he's like well, you know, uh, I got my grand force and all this stuff, and anybody I see that's got a double bit axe, I just know they aren't, they don't know what they're doing. And I kind of looked at him, it's like, you're invalidating with that statement, like, a, a few hundred years of, like, people that have actually lived off the land and, and used an axe to, like, make their sustenance, you know? Like, just because, like, they don't do that in, like, Norway or wherever the hell the current fashion from for bushcraft is doesn't mean that it's wrong. Right. Well, you know, and a lot of, a lot of I mean, I think double-bitted axes, depending on what they were, what they were, desi- what they were used for, cause are a little bit different. Because in Michigan, when you had the timber cutters that were here, the the guys that did a lot of the the felling would use double bitted axes because they would chop you know they would they would clear out um they would chop down a limb and they would use those axes because you could sharpen one side and you could by the end of the day you had two different sides you could use yeah <laughs> so <clears throat> depending on where you were and what the guy was actually using it for there was different ways to to sharpen the second side because you could use them to fell with yeah, you could use them to blunt them up more and use it to split with uh-huh. um, the other, the opposite side, mm-hmm. or you could use both sides to to fell with. If mm-hmm. if you if that was your job in a lumber camp, you were you were the tree feller. 
mm-hmm. you would have one that would have both both sides on it. You would have both sides sharpened. Mm-hmm. If you had, um, um, if you were not that guy, you didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Lay down. Go on. Lay down. Yeah, and then you know, like. Um, Depending on what they're designed for, like I said, the kind of the Iowa farm axe has a grubbing right. end, and that's. But I would when you, I would defy I would defy any of any of the of the bushcraft weenies to tell me that I didn't know how to use a double bitted axe. Yeah, or that I would like, I would actually throw it at them. Because <laughs> <Yeah, it is. laughs> oh, by the way, they can throw really well. <laughs> yeah, you got twice the opportunity to have it stick. <laughs> but uh, I told you that I love doing that. Didn't yeah, I? yeah. You said that you like the tomahawks for that reason. Well, I like the double bitted axes too for that reason. Yeah. Well, you the, know, and those then, cruisers axe throw. They throw phenomenally. Yeah. Well, and then up by you, you know, if you were like good at that, you could go to that like thing, that reenactment, and you could just wear a loincloth with like no underwear and have your ass hanging out, and then just like throw this axe <laughs> and have it stick. And you'd I could just like, do that awesome. in my backyard. <laughs> I don't even have to. I could just throw it naked axe throwing. Yeah, well, up, up <laughs> by you, you know, that's like all the rage. Yeah, loincloths and whatnot. So, talking about hipster doofuses, I have a. You met my friend Dylan. Yeah. Okay, so Saturday Saturday night, um, Jackie Stewart from Bark River came down with, uh, you know, because the barking dog is Jackie's. I got that dog from Jackie. Yeah, she she really pulled one over on you there. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I inherited I inherited this dog from Jackie, and and um, and and I may I mean he he acts like a jackass during the show, but I really like him. He's a, he's actually a pretty nice dog. So he she comes down and visits um, Saturday night, and um, with uh, Mikhail from uh, um, Belgium, Mikhail Van Hoot. From Belgium, the sharpener, uh-huh. and so Dylan comes over, and and uh, um, later on that evening, we start talking about hipsters. Oh boy! Now Dylan is not a hipster, by the way. Dylan is is not a hipster, okay? But he is like the epitome of what hipsters want to look like. Yeah, like they want to <laughs> they want to look like Dylan, but Dylan looks like that because. He is from rural Michigan, and he runs a hardware store. And he and he and he knows how to. I mean, he taps trees and he cuts. Yeah, down, he, he mean, does. He he's like by a, wood he's, by hand. And, he's like a typical backwoodsman, you know, yeah. like a guy I mean, that tru- knows how to do everything. He truly is, and it's comical yeah. as hell because he he's basically looked like that for all, his whole life. Yeah, like as soon and, as he could grow a beard, he just was like, "What the hell is a razor?" Yeah, you know, exactly. It was like women in the seventies, they're like, "What's that thing?" So but, we're so we're telling him about this stuff and we're and we're showing him pictures of of what hipsters look like. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh my god. I'm Are you serious?" And I said, "You just put on skinny jeans, buddy, and you'd be a hipster." He <laughs> yeah. would blend right in. He's like, "God, he said, I always thought I I go into town, I feel kind of uncomfortable, you know, into a big city because I, you know, I I dress like this all the time." And so we were having, we were just having, we were laughing like crazy about it. It was funny. Yeah. Because he was totally oblivious to it. He he didn't realize that the movement was, and and apparently in Europe it's way more prevalent than it is here. Weird. Um, M- Mikhail was saying that guys will take, they'll buy Red Wing. 
He said he can't even buy flannel shirts in Brus- in uh, Belgium anymore because that they're they're like off the racks. Yeah, Be- because that's all people are buying. They're buying they're buying those flannel shirts. They're buying um, Red Wing um, boots, and he said, and they're taking sandpaper and scuffing them all up. What? And then pour and then pouring coffee at the coffee shop. They're pouring coffee on their shoes so that they get all stained up and stuff. Well, geez. <laughs> Well, I well, okay. So I they better never discover Carhartt. That's all I can say. It's, it's, if they start it was, if they start buying up all the Carhartt, I'm going to be mad. It's it's funny. I'm yeah. laughing. I'm but, laughing. Well, do you remember in the '90s when the grunge thing came through? There was like a big, huge flannel thing, and I wear flannels because right <laughs> now it's there's like it's snowing and it's cold, and so like we we I grew up wearing flannels because like it's warm. You know, but right. when they become a fashion <laughs> statement, it kind of, it makes me mad, you know. It's like... Well, we were talking about straight leg jeans. And and my, I grew up with, believe it or not, I grew up with a disco. I mean, that was the rage back when, was <laughs> disco, okay? So that's what, um, and I wasn't one of those kind of guys that dressed up like that with the, with the tight... Um, they all kind of like silk shirts and shit like that. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, not, yeah. That was not and me. Gold medallions and whatnot. Yeah, all that shit. You had and, like um, camel on. Staying <laughs> stay alive and shit. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I, I wore. I was not allowed to wear blue jeans to school. When I when I was in uh, junior high, um, I was not allowed to wear blue jeans to school. I had to wear dress pants, and that came from from my dad because my dad was a depression kid, and that's all they had was dungarees. I mean, back in the day, in during that period of time, only poor folk dressed like that. Yeah. Only poor folk could, that could not afford to wear anything better than dungarees wore dungarees. Right. And and so dungarees, I for you younger people, dungarees are Levi's or jeans, what we call jeans today. Um, but back when it was, they were bibs, and they and you the kids usually had bibs that were their fathers had gotten worn through on the fronts and they mom would take the backs and make a pair of pants for you. Yeah. You know, and that's what my dad grew up with. And so when I was growing up, dungarees and Levi's and jeans were not to be worn to school because school was for, you were important if you were going to school. Yeah. I mean, you know, they talk about the dropout rate back now. I think the dropout rate back when was, you know, the generation prior to mine, the dropout rate was huge. There was a lot of people yeah, if, that did if not If you made have, it through eighth grade, you were, like, <clears throat> doing doing great. And for all of you young people that are insistent that college is, is absolutely a must, let me tell you, it was not college that built this country. Mm. Just, just a heads up, yeah. college did not build this country. College has pretty much torn this country apart. Universities have pretty much just did a lot of damage to this country. I won't say they wait, tore it apart. Wait, but they did. Well, and wait until you wait until you're paying back those student loans, buddy. <laughs> That's <laughs> all I can say. But I'm but, sa- but uh, you know I mean seriously the the what built our country was hard work, right? And it was physical, hard physical work, and and a lot of brain power. But it was not what you learn in a university. Well, um, but anyways, see. that's a whole different thing. But yeah. but so but I used to wear I used to sneak blue jeans in my gym bag and change when I was at school. 
<laughs> and the only blue jeans that I had, people were not big elephant bell bottoms. They were straight leg, button fly, 501 jeans. Yeah. And nobody wore button fly 501 jeans back then. Nobody. That was absolutely, I mean, I would get poked fun at all the time. Yeah. I mean, because of it. Yeah. But, but I would, but it was better than wearing dress pants, I guess. Yeah. I don't, I don't like, uh, I don't wear a lot of jeans. I wear, uh, other stuff. I have like a pair of jeans, but there was a time when I wore them a lot, but I don't anymore. They don't fit right anymore because of running and stuff. But, uh, well, you look kind of cute in those mom jeans. Mom jeans. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's another reason I don't wear jeans. It's like, no matter what, somebody's going to say they're mom jeans. So, <laughs> Well, but it but it is kind of a it is kind of a funny thing about how, you know, the the ideas have changed so much over what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and and um you know, you look at you look at what you look at some of these people that have tattoos all over their face and piercings through the side of their head and and they expect to they expect to walk into a room and not have everybody pay attention to them or expect to do well on a job interview. And you, you can't understand how the, that's not necessarily going to happen. But if you're, but if you're, if you're 19 or you're 20, it doesn't bother you at all. Because everybody else has got it and stuff. And and you almost look unusual if you don't have them. But, um, right. Later on, that changes. Yep. But I uh, remember, I remember my grandfather had a tattoo, and I, and I, I think that that's a lot of the reason why, why I never really went down that path, <clears throat> was because his tattoo looked so hideous, because it bled as, as you get older. They bleed. And I don't yeah, know. They, they always the lines, say the lines blur. Get blurred. And, yeah. <laughs> and they, pretty soon they look like a blob. And yeah. yeah, that was a pig with a knife stuck through its throat. But it turned out, to, or that was a beautiful woman. But now it doesn't look so beautiful anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and they're and they're saying that. Oh no, the ink doesn't run anymore. And it's like, well, yeah, but your skin does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your skin yeah, loses its elasticity over time. Yeah, and your skin is going to change and. They'll figure that out someday, but I, I don't have any. Uh, I, don't I, I would get one if I was um, part of a military unit and it was good for morale. Um, that's when I would get one. But um, no, I I, I wouldn't. I don't know what could be good for morale because most of those are drunk. <laughs> well, what the what the hell just happened here? Why the hell do I have <laughs> this on my arm? Yeah, well, you know, it's morale. You go on to R and R and all this, and yeah, you know well. if every if everybody in the unit got one on the same day, and you didn't have one, like you know, you might uh, might consider that, but that'd be the only way I'd ever do it. So, yeah. um, knife wise, what's uh, so well, let's was, talk about I, the trackers. I haven't had a chance to use mine yet. I, I yeah, but um. It, I'm pretty happy with the way they turned out. Yeah, I am, I am pretty happy with the way they turned out. I, I I'm looking forward to trying all mm-hmm. the different handle, um, mm-hmm. 
you know the all the all the different ways to hold it. Uh huh. Um, the Kydex sheath came out real handy. I, I'm not. Yep. I don't know as I'm going to actually put belt loops on it and wear it. I was actually contemplating making a sh- like a shoulder rig for it. Oh, okay. So that I can like sling it over my shoulder. Yeah, and, there's there's no reason not to. It's got all the the rivets that you could string through and everything. Right, and that's kind of and and it would be like something to to not to like you're you're going away from the camp for a minute and you want to throw that out, you know way to carry it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the one of the things that's kind of interesting with that is the quote unquote companion knife that goes along with it. Hmm. And if you if you do much of the, um, actually need to get a copy of that of the book that that they're that they're sending around with tops and. Oh yeah, and that yeah that yeah. <coughs> so, um, if you check out, uh, I put a video up of making these things, um, YouTube.com, and then the, you look for average Iowa guy. That's me. But they, I put a video up of making them. And we, somebody lent uh, Mike a Topps knife, um, like new in the thing and stuff. And so we opened it up and there was like this little paper booklet in there of different uh, things. And, and so that we put that in the in the video and, and showed the Topps. And, you know, I, I got to say, I was kind of pleasantly surprised with the Topps. I mean, I didn't use it, but the fit and finish was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it felt good in the hand. Well, pe- Paint console covers up a lot of grind. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, but that's... You know, because I think they paint those... Uh, um, I think they paint those. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, the coating on that is some kind of a... It's like paint. Duracoat or something like yeah. this. But, but um, that you know, it had uh, flat slab handles, but I'd, I'd say that they were fairly comfortable because they left them thick. Mm-hmm. They weren't using, like, eighth-inch... Um, micarta on there they they had like it's like three eighths inch and then they just rounded off the corners but i i thought the handles were fairly comfortable now the edge geometry um i didn't get to test it but you know um i probably would have done it a little different but i was i was like pleasantly surprised yeah about that um because as much trash talk as you hear about those um it was much much more of a product than I was thinking it was going to be. Um, but so then we made ours and, uh, Mike, um, copied, uh, well, he didn't really, he can't really say he copied it because the modern day Beck knives look different than the one that Mike came up with. So I think Mike said that he got the handle (coughs) from like the original tracker design and then took like the Beck style blade. Right. Um, and then had that cut out for us. And then basically the only only thing I did to mine was I the front of the blade where um at the at the front of the blade there on the on the blanks that came to us it was flat and straight across in that area. So I took mine and scooped it out just a little bit to give it a little bit more of a like movie look, you know, I I clipped clipped it a little bit and then I added uh I swedged to the top. And so that's really the only grinding I did on the blade itself. And then I ended up, I made my handle, Jim made his handle, and then my friend Tim made one too, but we were the only three that made them, which is surprising to me. Are you going to be able to uh, get Tim's to bring along with, or is Tim going to come with? I don't think Tim is coming, and I don't think he'll let me have it. But um, Brian, (laughs) 
Brian is coming and he's got, he's going to have one that they, they're making up for him. So there'll be yeah. three there. But my, my handle is like, um, I left it pretty darn generic. I didn't, I didn't add much into it. I did put a little groove for the index finger, but it's very subtle. It's yeah. there, but it's subtle. And so if you want to see, um, photos of all three knives, you can go to facebook.com forward slash Versteg blades, V E R S T E E G blades. And then you can see them on there. And then also in the video, you see all three. Um, but then Jim, when he made his, he did a really aggressive um, finger groove at the front, in front of the first um, finger groove. So it, I'm and talking it went, about went in up the through scale. The slabs. The, yeah, in the yeah, scales. went up through the scale on the handle, like the original Loveless design. And then Tim did a did something like like mine, pretty generic. But all three handles, they were a little different, but they were all really comfortable. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly. Um, yeah. Well, and then you left yours more or less stock with the finger grooves the way they were. Mm-hmm. I think you knocked the front one down just a touch because it mm-hmm. was kind of pointy. But then yeah, took off the points all right, and then but other than that, it was basically stock. And I have to say, I was not expecting. It's damn comfortable, you know. There's there's nothing wrong with that handle, even with the finger grooves in there. And uh, I was not expecting it to be that way, you know. And I I just knocked the back finger groove off of mine and took the point of the front, and then Tim Tim took the point off the front. But all three handles were really comfortable. Um, and three different handle materials. Jim made his pink. <laughs> and uh, I Well, made I made mine. Listen, I made mine pink because after this is all said and done, I'm going to do, I'm going to, um, uh, somehow or another, I'm going to figure out how to auction it off and donate the money to one of the breast cancer foundations. Yeah, that was that was what my intentions were yeah. to the whole thing. So um, whether I like it or I dislike it, that was that was what I was thinking right from the get go. Was I yeah. was going to do? And so I, I used pink G10, and yeah. the funny part is it actually it looks good. It, kind of, it make it looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I was I was really quite surprised, and I get some teasing about it, but then once I say what it is, what it's for, then it all goes away. Yeah. Well, and then so mine, I wanted to make it just like ridiculous. So I I took uh the Sunburst Crynite, <laughs> which is like this orange, <laughs> and I put like lime green liners on it, and I was expecting it to look all awful. <coughs> actually, it's very attractive. Like it actually looks pretty cool. Um and I kind of like the and so I ordered a bunch of that um Sunburst Crynite. I'm going to do some knives with that on there. I, that material is gorgeous. Um, and then Tim's is just uh, red micarta. And I don't know what Brian's is going to end up with or if they'll even make him one. I think he might be surprised that they get a little busy <laughs> to be making him one of those. Uh, and then I we, we, we ended up with three different grinds. Uh, Tim's was done first, and that was he had Skittles do his... And his was, um, wasn't his like full convex throughout, right? No, no, no. He has like a, he has a. No, I think his was full convex. Mine is convex full. No, mine, but I mean, mine no, is, even, even up towards the handle, up towards no, the handle. Yeah. No, okay. No. So, so he convexed his, he convexed his in the draw knife area. Right. And then, and then he convexed the front as well. Right. But his front is similar to your front in the fact that it has. 
almost like a convex, um, like there's a, like, how the hell do I describe that? It's sort of like the, like a scanty convex. Yeah. So it's where a you fairly, have, fairly steep a, convex. Right, exactly, right toward the end. And then, but I had him bring mine up higher. So yes. it's, it's not quite as steep. I had him remove some more material through there. So Tim's is convex at the draw knife part, convex at the front. Mine is con uh, is a uh, concave or hollow grind at, in the draw knife part and um, convex at the front. And yours was similar, but it, they were three slightly different grinds because right. Skittles did mine My- and Tim's and then Jim did yours. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy did my grind, and and um, what 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 he did with mine was he he hollow ground around the edge. They the, followed the corner what, a little what bit. Is, what is that? What is that notch called? What is that? What is there a name for that? That's one section that's ahead of the handle. Yeah. That is a separate. Is that? I mean, I've heard it. People it's like a rampage grind, and I've heard it called something else, and. I, I don't know but, what that's called. But that little section in front of the that that on this knife you're going to use for as a draw knife. Yeah. Or so it's um, the transition between the draw knife portion and the front chopping portion of the knife. There's a notch there. Yep. And there's there's a couple different ways that you can treat that notch. Um you can leave it as a big notch or you can you can take the convex portion of the blade kind of around the corner, and that's what he did on yours. So that, right, exactly. So that the notch is there, but it's really, really <coughs> thin. Um, and you could really round something off real easy with it. Yeah, and then mine is kind of a kind of half and half. Like mine has a real notch there, but it's kind of subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Tim's, I think, I think his is just notched there. Now yours is actually only ground on one side, right? No, it's both. I made him do both. Yeah, con- it's a uh, convex, uh, what a hollow grind both sides down to okay. a real thin point there. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking for them on looking for pictures of them, and I'm not finding them. Oh. Uh, maybe I should. But uh, um, they're yeah they're around somewhere. They're on yeah. Versteg oh, blades. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they all work out. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, a little different ideas here. Yeah, um, like I said, it's a lot. It's a lot different than what I expected. Well, exactly, and it, After, I, I just I haven't used mine yet, so I can't say anything about the performance. But holding right. it in your hand, uh, it's impressive. Like yeah. it, it feels good. And yeah. so yesterday in the knife shop, had my naughty cousin come down and. Uh, he had a um, Schrade Sharp finger, so mm-hmm. uh, you know the old timer, and it's like Schrade 152 or something is the model. And uh, he bought it at a knife show, and from the factory, it was just terrible. The grind was now just was awful. that a was that a fairly new one or a fairly old one? Older, yeah. Uh, um, but they um, the grinds were just terrible. They they basically just took the the grinder and just sharpened one side of it, and the other side didn't have anything. And then back towards the um, Ricasso, they just left it wide. Like, they didn't do any any kind of refined... It looks like the guy was drunk or something. He just took it and went, eh, on one side and, like, threw it in the box. Like, didn't wow. Didn't give a shit. And so I, I took it and um, 
you know, made, put a nice plunge line on there, um, made the grinds even on both sides, brought it down to razor, and put a sharpening notch in there. And I have a, mm-hmm. a picture of that up on Versteg Blades. But so he came down, and then um, I have a, another model that I'm working on that we're not. I'm not talking about till it's all done. Um, but uh, I made four of those for sale. One of them is already sold, and then. Uh, uh, I gave the double O from this batch to my cousin, and I left it a little bit unfinished and had him grind on it, and then we we quenched it and, and did a bunch of stuff to it, so he'll have, like, full ownership of the knife and stuff. But anyway, he picked up that, that tracker knife of mine, and he said, you know, this just feels right. Like, like, he was pretty impressed by that thing, and I think that's the reaction that most people will have when they pick one of those up. Right, right. Um, I think uh, what what my goal is with the knife and and with PWIP is what we should theoretically have three different models down there. Well, and, I think Chance is going to bring some too. Right, he's going to bring his. And so we'll have we'll have basically a bunch of different people, um, playing with all the different knives and 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 all of this. And what I want to do is I want to get a, an opinion everybody's opinion and and kind of test and see what what they're saying and does this gel with what i think and then put you know make whatever improvements are suggested you know if if anybody finds that you know maybe the maybe the front part needs to come back a little bit more or manipulate the sweet spot so that it's further towards the front of the blade you know there's all kinds of things that you could do um and, and try to come up with, uh, you know, like a little a little bit tuned version of it, um, right? As an intellectual exercise, not right. Um, and I'm going to say something like fairly controversial now. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that either love or hate that knife. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they, everybody's got their own reasons, and that's fine. Um, and some of it has to do with controversy surrounding the designer um Mm -hmm. some of it has to do with the fit and finish of various models of it that are out there and some of it has to do with the reason that a lot of people hate the hollow handled survival knives that it was a movie knife Mm -hmm. and they think that if you enjoy hollow handled survival knives then that makes you a douchebag because the only reason you like them is because it was in a movie Mm -hmm. which is which sort is of like ridiculous. It's, right. it's sort of like the guy with the double-bitted axe making a statement, if you have a double-bitted axe, you, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. Right. And so, <laughs> at, at any rate, um, I think that, that, that the knife is fairly controversial now because, um, because of those reasons. But I think that 50 or, a, you know, maybe even sooner, but by, certainly by 50 years from now, that is going to be an accepted, like, it's, it's going to be like an accepted style of knife. It's like the Bowie knife, you know, or the, the typical large American clip point blade. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like that, or it's going to be like a drop point hunter. You know, I think that once we have some distance from, from all of this, that that will be a knife that if you can make it in your custom shop and tweak it and tune it and have good fit and finish and you have the right grind and everything and your knife works, 
that's going to be a measuring stick for you. Mm-hmm. And hmm, that's I, interesting. I, and I'm saying that I know it's controversial, but. I think that that that's going to be a measuring stick for knife makers. It's kind of like if you're if you're a right now if you're a guy that's trying to like you know make frame lock folders um, or make folding knives. Like if you can make a really good frame titanium frame lock flipper, that's like a measuring stick of your company. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting. That's and I, interesting. I think that that's going to be. I, 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 what I just said is like enormously controversial, but yeah. that could very easily be the one of those things that become an American icon, um, right? And whether I, it's you know, it's sort of like not, it, when you think about when you think about the the um, well, what's the name of that? Like, um, oh, now I'm going to slip my memory. That it looks kind of like a machete with a hook on the end of it. Bill hook knife. Uh, no, 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 no. The one that was a survival knife, and now it's oh yeah, the it's D the, handle. Um, yeah, it's it? um, it's the uh, woodsman's pal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of like the woodsman's pal. You know, there's 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 people that love those and hate those too. Same, yeah. Same story. Yeah. Um, you know whether or not uh, I mean it could be like the next woodsman pal type knife. Except I would go further in that I would say that not, not many knife makers are making woodsman's pals. Yeah. I think they have the same, like, love them or hate them response to them. But I think that the it, – it's like um, if you take a Bowie knife, like, what what is a Bowie knife? So let's, I'm just going to approach this from the, from the side of usefulness at, for certain tasks, Okay. What was the Bowie knife designed for, and what is it really, really useful for? Um, you know. Well, it depends. It's for fighting. Yeah, the exactly. Bowie knife it's was, for killing was designed folks. for fighting. Now, and it pretty much that? every American knife maker that's a custom maker makes a Bowie knife. Right. Um, how many people out there actually use a Bowie knife for its best intended purpose? Well... Unless they're going to jail all the time, nobody. Right. And so, like, I think, and, and so, now if you look at the Tom Brown tracker, a lot of that design was put in place for quote-unquote usefulness. I, honest, I, I honestly don't think that the usefulness matters as much as it's a visually appealing knife. I think it's going to be eventually associated with American culture, like it or not, guys, it, it was part of a movie, and, you know, you may not like Tom Brown, you may not like the, whatever it is, you may be mad that, like, you know, all these whippersnappers are talking about it as the greatest knife ever made, well, the same shit happened with the Bowie knife, you know, and uh, I think that the usefulness and the design of the blade are secondary to the looks and how difficult it is to make one. And I think that, like, it's going to be a... Why did we have Skittles and Jim grind those as opposed to doing it ourselves? <laughs> yeah. Why yeah, would nobody else touch those? You know, Because it was difficult to do. Right. And so I think that, that that's going to become a yardstick. It's like, if you can do that grind and execute that knife well... And then say say you're not even the craftsman guy. Say you're the guy that's the intellectual guy that likes to tweak the knife and say, well, the handle should be like this, or the you want to have the draw portion shorter and the front portion longer. 
say you're that kind of a guy and you want to demonstrate that you can tweak a knife, that's the perfect specimen to start with. Right. You know, that's why I'm like all of a sudden I'm like geeking out about them, even though I've never used one. But right. Know. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. Um, mm-hmm. There's a uh, you know I mean depending on how I'm uh, how it responds to some of the things that I have it do mm-hmm. is gonna is gonna tell a lot. Yeah. I, you know, as far as, as far as the usefulness of the design, it will. Um, but I think if you separate the two things and look at the challenge, um, you know, it's like with a Bowie knife, like really it's kind of a, you can use it for a lot of things, but it's real design is killing folks. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, I think that that Tom Brown design, um, could be tweaked uh, to the individual user, you know. So, like, I, I need to use mine to figure out exactly what I want to do with it. But that's going to be mm-hmm. a very, very fun exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I think what I, I think a little bit. Well, anytime you get out in the woods and just <laughs> just go out and use your stuff, that's you're you're going to have a good time. Yeah, I mean, no matter what knife you're, well, you're out then, there using it with, it's. Like my guess is that that knife isn't going to be the most the bestest thing for any kind of food preparation. <laughs> oh no, no, not at all. Yeah, I can't. I can't see us sitting around the fire, you know, cutting up onions with that for the no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, but um, you know, it'll be fun to play with. Um, I was talking uh, to some to Tim on the way back um, from Escanaba there. And I was I was saying that, you know, the the grinding and the production of the knives and stuff is fun, but really, um, that's not the fun part for me. It's the it's when somebody gives me a, a challenge or says, you know, hey, I want a knife um, that will fit in my pocket and weighs like nothing and disappears, but yet it has to be a fixed blade and the blade has to be at least two inches. You know, like those kinds of questions are what is fun for me. It's not necessarily the production of the knives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know the the whole Tom Brown thing. It's not it's not making it that would would be the fun part. It's the tweaking of it and the and the coming up with an idea and then putting well, it into and practice. And it's like me. I mean, I was teasing at the at the grind end. We were talking about we're holding those blanks and. Guys were saying, "Well, what would you do, and what would you do?" And you know, and I held up another knife, yeah, another yeah, fixed yeah. blade knife, and said, "Well, you grind away everything that doesn't look like this." Yeah, you know, and I was kind of tongue in cheek saying that, but yeah, um, yeah, you know, and I, I go back to that <clears throat> that whole thing about about knife designs, and and this is going to lead us to another topic that I probably should get my cup of coffee before we start this path. Okay. Let, let me do that. Let me okay. go get my cup of coffee because I because I have some thoughts about this. Okay.
we're back. All right, I was listening to the. There's some. I guess there's some updates on the Malaysian thing. They're saying that they're <coughs> that they found some debris that's a little more than than speculation now. But they're Chinese, and the Americans went to the same area and couldn't find it. So. Well, the Malaysian Prime Minister released a statement today that it blew up in the South Indian Ocean. So. Right. Anyway, back to knives um, okay. real quick. Yeah, so we're talking about um, about knife design and knife use, and, and and I think we've addressed this a couple times before about designs, knife designs. And um, just reiterate the position um, that there, are, the take that we've come to, and we seem to both agree upon, is. Uh, for any given task, there are probably, you know, four or five really good blade designs that will do that task. Right. But the blade designs and blade shapes themselves are thousands of years old. Right. And then, um, so if you have a task in mind and you want to perform that task, you'll very likely, even if you start without knowing anything, if you're very good and you work and work and work, you're probably going to come to that design for a blade shape for that particular right. task. Right. And then what you're going to do is you're going to tweak the handle, you're going to make some interesting artistic choices and things like this, and then that will be your knife. Right. There's no there's no reinventing the wheel. If you if you're if you're let's let's use fillet knives because fillet knives are going to be considerably less controversial than everything okay, else. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you're filleting a tuna, a fillet knife that you use for filleting perch is not going to work. Uh, yeah. Because a tuna is a freaking 400 pound fish, right? So you're going so to have to change it a little bit. These guys are using big, they're using big butcher style knives to fillet a tuna, right? And 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 that's the you know guys that are that are that are surf, that are fishing off the coast of Florida and using big knives. They look at the little flexible knives that we use and they, and they don't work. Yeah, you know. They have to use something else because the because when when you're in Michigan waters and you are you know Midwest waters and you hear the term fillet knife, what do you think of? You uh, hear you think of a long pointy, yeah, pipe, six inch flexible bladed. You know, six six inch blade probably is probably average is probably what you're going to find in in a guy's tackle box with a with a right. handle on it. Um, if you're uh, an the, off if you're in an offshore fishing uh, processing boat. Mm-hmm. That is not the knife that those guys use. No, um, but, <clears throat> and so but, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of difference for that. But yeah, but if you if you're designing knives to fillet fish in Michigan, you're pretty much no matter who you are. If you if you c- catch a lot of fish and fillet a lot of fish, you end up gravitating toward those kinds of knives. So it's, it's what what Jim is talking to, to is work best. a continuous curve from the handle to the tip of the knife, a very thin blade. A blade that's, that's not that's very flexible. tall. That's that's flexible, um, and you can, despite what people think, you can make <laughs> an O1 tool steel of the appropriate thickness, uh, hardened and flexible. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is this is entirely possible. Um, don't ask me how I know that. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you're if you're making one. Um, to fillet like cat, you know, small, smaller catfish, uh, northerns, walleyes, and perch, and and other you know lake trout and things like this. Th- towards the handle, it's going to be about three quarters of an inch tall. The blade, it's going to gently sweep all the way from that point, 
and the point is very likely going to be about a quarter inch above where it started. So there's a gentle mm-hmm. upsweep. It looks about like a scimitar. Mm-hmm. And then, and then basically what changes is, is what you do with the handle. Right. Um, you know, how, how are you making the handle and these sorts of things? So this is, this has been our position is that, you know, certain blade <coughs> shapes work really well for certain tasks. And, you know, the individual designers will change things minorly and, and this and that. And, you know, this is kind of the take. Um, now, the, now the, the, the controversy comes into play when you have a, Knife designer that works with a oh yeah somebody okay that, well hold on hold on so um, there's a there's a topic on the forums and it's it's an unrelated topic but one of the the posters is named uh, Jay Seymour and uh, he was asking about something else but what came up in the thread was um, he, he's working with a guy that uh, came to him and said, well, I want to make a Necker knife for my gear company, and uh, can you help me with that? And Jay Seymour says yes, and so they start working together, and the guy says, well, I need it to have like a three-inch blade and like this hand. You know, I don't know what specifically happened, but gave him some parameters, and uh, Jay Seymour drew up like half a dozen. The guy picked one and then wanted to make some tweaks to it. So they worked and worked and worked. And the question is, once you're at that point and once you're going into production, um, who designed it? Was it Jay Seymour or was it the other guy or was it a collab? And would right. it be right for the guy to say that he completely designed the knife and um, that well, that, that was his then baby? Well, therein lies, the, there, therein lies the, the ethics of the whole thing. Um, if a guy wants to be honest about it, he needs to include J. Seymour in the process. I would and say, say that his that his name is is synonymous with the design. Yep. Um, because what ends up happening, and and you see this a lot, you see this somebody that you know. I, I I fall back to that whole operator thing where because you because you can use a knife doesn't mean you can design a knife. Right. You know, and I, I don't want to step on anybody's feelings, but if you're a celebrity. Because you're a celebrity does not make you a house designer. No, or a doctor. Because or a you have a lot of money doesn't mean you can design a house. Sorry, but no. I see it all the time. You have all of these monstrosities, um, and and it's because somebody has an ass load of money, and they design the ugly. They they should get like an ugly house award <laughs> because they think that that because they have a lot of money, because they're wealthy, they can design a house. Yeah. <laughs> and it's totally not true. It's sort of like designing clothes. Just because you have a lot, an ass load of money doesn't make you a clothes designer. Right. You know, you can you can wear nice clothes that somebody else designed. Right. But it doesn't. But if you and it's and knives are no different. Mm-hmm. I've said this all along. If you have the ability to use a knife, it doesn't matter what knife it is. You have the ability to use a knife mm-hmm. because you know you understand the tasks that you're trying to do. Uh-huh. The knife doesn't do the task. You control the the cutting utensil that performs the task. Right. And and so that we've fallen into this thing where if a, if just because a guy has done something great or not so great, he ha, he now can be associated with a particular kind of knife, a particular brand of knife, and and he, you know it's like saying that 
that that Sylvester Stallone designed the Rambo knife. Mm. Well, Sylvester Stallone also lit his arm on fire. Yes. In First Blood. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did do that. I forgot yeah. about that. But anyway, <laughs> that was reference to another another thing. But but the whole the point is is that because you make something that if you design the knife and you're the design you're the quote unquote designer and you're working with a celebrity that says, well, can you make it a little less belly, a little more belly, a little this, a little that? Um. If the celebrity had the ability, he would have done it himself. Yeah. He would have made the knife himself exactly the way he wanted it. Then he could be the designer of the knife. Right. But but saying that you designed it because... Saying that you're the sole designer because you're the name is totally wrong. Unless right. you physically drew out the knife... And you ground out the first blades, and you went to a went to a, a production house and said, "Can you make this like yeah. lots of them?" Yeah. And they would look at it and go, "Well, I can't really do that without doing some tweaks to making it fit into my process." But with those tweaks, we can do that. That's a different story. Yeah. If you go to a knife maker and you say, "I'd like you to make me a knife that I I design." Or I work with you in designing. Yeah. Then, then that guy needs to be named. Yeah, the knife maker that that actually <clears throat> made something useful. Like yes. if if you say, okay, well, I want a blade that's like three and a half inches with a um, four inch handle, um, but you know I want it to be this and this, and I don't want the handle to be any taller than this. And then the knife designer draws up four designs, and then you pick one. You didn't design the knife, shithead. Speaking of which. Um, uh, Jim and I, um, know someone that, uh, it, I like calling people douchebags. It's great. It's <laughs> one of my favorite freaking things. It's, it's so like emasculating. <laughs> it just says exactly what you mean. But Jim and I know this guy, he's a friend of ours, um, that tinkers with knives and, um, does some different knife stuff. Uh, really pretty good. Guy, fun, nice fun guy. guy to be around. Fun great guy to, guy be, to around. be around. And um, he he has the ability not only to design good knives that work, but he also does uh, CAD. And not only that, but he he not only has that knowledge, but he understands what can be done in knife production uh, in various facilities. So he he not only has the good design <laughs> ideas. Um, he can put those ideas into a CAD program and make it so that a, a given company can produce that product given their existing machining, right? So Jim and I know this guy. Good guy to hang out with. And um, uh, a company uh, approached our friend and said, hey, um, can you make a knife that meets these certain specifications? Uh, and they were you, they were specifications like I just said like six inches long ye, this kind of belly this kind of this yeah or yeah that. like just generic specifications <clears throat> for a knife and um, uh, our friend says yeah okay I can do that um, I'll I'll do a, a CAD design and I'll just send it over and you know we can we can tweak it however you want and uh, so he sends the design over 
and the, the company says, oh, that looks great. We're just going to use that. And he's like, well, really, like this should be changed because um, it's not going to be all that useful. I just kind of threw something together and they're like, no, that's perfect. And like six months later, the knife goes into production and the company is saying that one of their designers designed it completely from the ground up. And it's literally, you could take uh, our friend's CAD drawing and superimpose it on the knife and it's the exact same thing. It's undeniable. Like, that is like the most egregious case of theft of design that I have ever heard of, ever. And now it, it makes me wonder, like, if they do that with one of their knives, who the hell designed the rest of their knives? Yeah. I, well, they, and that's that, that's been my, that's all been of my the point. credibility. You know, like that's been my that's been my point. When you when you have a um, when you have a celeb, I mean, and I don't want to. Most of these guys that that are that have their name on a knife, they could use any knife. They have yeah. the ability, the skill set to you, use. They any can take knife. a tin It doesn't can matter lid. what you know. <laughs> You could, exactly. they could literally they can take a tin, tin can, can lid and, and make it sharp and, and and fillet a fish with it. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah. And and so the, the but people need to recognize that fact and yeah. and understand that look this is the knife that they endorse they really like it, but you know what they didn't design it. I mean that's just ridiculous. That's just that's like saying yeah, that that's, I drive that's a like, jeep. That's, that's like, like a, I fuck like I drive a jeep and I fucking design jeeps because <laughs> I I endorse jeeps because I have a 1971. Well, Jeep Universal. I designed that Jeep. That's that's because I endorse it. Yeah. Like, Come on, guys, really? Well, I I think that the the case that we just talked about is like the most clear cut and egregious case. Oh yeah. Of like bullshit theft that I have ever heard of. Like, and it's still ongoing, so we can't mention. Yeah, his name and it nobody. Is, so. We're not naming anything. <laughs> because anything. it might be it might be fixed. It might get fixed in the process. I don't well, know. I haven't seen the the result of that it, yet. It has not it has as of yet has not been fixed. Is the is the knife available? It is. Oh the knife it is, is available. It is a commercially sold and available okay. knife that has been advertised on different forums by the quote unquote designer as having designed the knife. Okay. Like so um Anyway, like it's like uh, like it we're gonna end up being like the sick. design Nazis, you know that. No, it, like it, it, listen, you know it's like <laughs> th that's like so egregious that like I can't even believe it. Like, but I wouldn't have believed it unless I saw the the proof. Yeah. And the guy had yeah. proof. He had like the actual CAD designs and time stamped emails back and forth, like. There's no question. This is not a disgruntled guy. Um, just no. Actually, just, he was working on another design for the company. Yeah, and they <laughs> wanted to steal that one too. <laughs> yeah, but but I do believe I do believe and I, and I don't see anything wrong with that. I I don't see anything wrong with saying that you know um, that we worked in concert and made this knife and or or. I mean, in that case, it wasn't even that. It was this guy designed a knife, and I like it. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and I'm going to go with it because I can sell, you know, fifteen hundred. Yeah, and then I'm going to claim that one of the designers from my company designed it, and not right. like. Well, no, 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 not even one of my designers. One of my. Well, okay. Yeah, but like one of the knife designers from my company designed this, and he really had nothing to do with the design at right. all. So, right. like, that's just, like, it's really bizarre. 
Well, and, and it makes can, me sick. Can, and then I look at I look at all the other knives, and I'm like, okay, well, who designed that one? Well, you can flip to the tracker, mm-hmm. and you can say you can talk about the tracker knife, or the or the core, the WSK. I think was was, and I, I don't know all the history to that. Okay, yeah. so if I'm a little bit off here, let you know. You guys can write me in podcast at at uh, knifejournal.com, and we'll, we'll get it straight and draw. But but the original knife was not designed by Dave Beck. It was not designed by another guy in concert with Tom Brown. Uh, Tom Brown. Yeah. And it and and Dave Beck basically took that design and made it into a W what he calls the WSK. Yeah. And he, Tom Brown also liked that one, and and was and he was making the ones for his class, I think, because the yeah. the original maker passed away, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and then well, then Beck um, Beck doesn't claim to have designed it at all. No, no, not at you all. Know? He just made makes one. Yeah, or makes a, a style makes a of version it. of it. You know, and if you if you look that up, there's like a dozen guys that make that make those that style of knife. Well, I know there's um, going to be a dozen plus at least one or two. Yeah. And, <laughs> Very and, um, shortly, <laughs> right? And so the <clears throat> if you look at um, if you look at the, the 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 Beck knives and you look at what Tops is making, they're separate. Be, they're different because there are things on the Beck knife that that manufacture wise Tops doesn't have the ability to do. So so it's a little bit different because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's it's a little bit different. Uh, the ones that we made were probably made more like the ones that 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 Beck makes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because it, you know, it's just because the manufacturing process, right? So, um, but as long as you give credit to yeah. where credit is due, right? You know, there's no, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, I'm surely not yeah. claiming oh, that I designed and that. And let me let me just say of the models of knives that I'm making right now. Um, people have seen one of them, and that's the Bowie. And I have been very honest. I, I lifted the blade shape directly from a Marine Raider Bowie, and then my contribution was converting it to a full tang and putting a forged guard in there. And I stole the forged guard. I lifted it directly from Lon Humphrey. Okay, so, like, I I think as long as you tell people what it's coming from and don't try to claim, like, you know original authorship of everything um, and just say, look, I tweaked this, I did this, and this is what I came up with. Now, I do have um, one design that I gave to um, Jim and Mike um, they were walking around with that that's an original design, but there's an element to it that I lifted from um, uh, a knife maker friend of ours. And I'm not saying it yet because I don't want to create this big drama like, i don't want people asking me for them until they're done and then there's another one that i'm making that's in my 100 percent mine you know but like if you if you just are honest with what your sources are and if you lift something or borrow an idea from someone there's nothing wrong with giving them credit right you know they'll appreciate it right you know um i don't know yeah it it is it's one of those things that's uh you know it's and it's not like we're not talking, people were not talking about mechanical locks and folding mechanisms. We're talking about fixed blades, fixed blade shapes. Mm-hmm. 
and and typically fixed blade shapes fit into a category of fixed blade knives. Mm-hmm. They've been done since the Stone Age. <laughs> it's, it's not like anything is new. Right. And I, and I say that all the time. It's not like anything is new. Uh, now you I have know? to beep that out. <laughs> Damn it. Now I have to edit that out. But um, uh, So anyway, that's that was pretty good fun discussion about design. I, it seems like I was thinking of something else to talk about along those lines, but... What else? Well, it is it is it is rough. I mean, you know, we come back to that whole that you know because you're a celebrity, you can design something, and it and and it's not just like I said before, it's not just knives. It's everything. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's tennis shoes. You mean to tell me you think that that Michael Jordan actually designed Air Jordans? (laughs) No, (laughs) no. No. What does he know about like production and and machine sewing? And, exactly. And that this exactly. thing has to be he this can wide. He jump high, and I'll bet you a dollar to a dirty donut that that son of a bitch could jump without freaking shoes on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he could probably jump over your house and like do a flip that's, and dunk yeah, the basketball barefoot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But but it's a, and it's the same thing. I mean, it's the, exactly the same. It's exactly the same thing. Yep. Well, um, I have some, uh, uh, so I sent, uh, I wanted to give uh, Tim Zawada and uh, Randy Buckmaster a plug. Um, Randy Buckmaster, well, I'll get to the whole story, but it's like the greatest name in the knife business. <laughs> For a, If you're going to be in the knife business, you want your name to be Randy Buckmaster. Like, it's freaking perfect. <laughs> um, but, but uh, so uh, anyway... Um, with the Bowies, uh, it's different because there are forged elements to it, and then there's stock removal elements to it. And um, uh, because of that, the steel has been treated a certain way. And before going off to heat treat, there are some considerations that you have to have um, because there's forged elements. And so I called. Uh, you talking about your? You're talking about your Bowie? Yeah, my Bowie the, with the forged guard. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so I called Tim Zawada because I was having trouble um, coming up with a heat treat protocol that would address um, the various problems. Um, and some of the problems I didn't even know about. Like, he basically had to educate me on um, a couple different things. So I called him up, and he designed a heat treat protocol for 52100 that has been up to up to this point treated in a certain way. So it's mm-hmm. been hammered on, it's been ground, it's had all these things done to it. So what do you do with that to turn that into a hardened piece of steel? Mm-hmm. And it's not as simple as you would think. And so mm-hmm. he came up with a heat treat process for me and then um, suggested uh, one of his friends, uh, Randy Buckmaster, who uh, <laughs> who just so happens to have the uh, salt tanks and everything that you need to execute this somewhat complicated heat treat method. Now, is he close to you? No, he's up in Michigan. Randy Buckmaster lives right up by you. Oh, yeah, no shit! Yeah, so that package um, of 15 blades went off uh, last week. Um, and so He thanks, lives by me? Yeah. Well, like, kind of close to you. Um, so thanks to uh, Tim Zawada for designing a heat treat protocol and thanks to Randy Buckmaster for executing that on the Bowies. And, um, when those are done, I'll start, uh, hafting. Them is it, and is them it out. B-U-C-K? Yeah. Buckmaster, Randy Buckmaster. 
Damn. It's like the it's it's the perfect name. And I, I know, but I should know this guy. I don't understand why I don't know him. Well, he does. He's in the Razor community. He's he's on oh, my friends list. Why. He's that on my friends why. list. Um, but anyway, uh, so thanks to those two guys, and then um, I sent off uh, tw- a two dozen blades this weekend uh, out of O one Tool Steel. Uh, two different designs, twenty of one, four of the other. Um, and because they're O one Tool Steel, uh, I sent them to T M Hunt, who makes um makes this, you know, mm-hmm. the the big uh, the M eighteen, basically the tracker only like on steroids. Mm-hmm. So I sent I sent them to him because he he works um, with O one Tool Steel, and everything I've gotten from him has been fantastic. And he's got a heat treat oven, and he's got like protocols that he uses, and and it's been good stuff. Um, speaking of which, do you you recognize this? You you see what's going on here? How I did the sheath? Yep. I did yep. this years ago, and now like, how are people doing tracking sheaths? How are ours done? Yeah, just that way. Yeah. Yep. Well, this and I posted this on a forum a couple years ago, and now some guys are. Making that. Are you using that it? Con- yeah. Including, um, well, never mind. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so thanks to TM Hunt and to our friend, uh, Corey Murphy, who like made that connection and, uh, made, basically made it happen. So those will be coming back. I don't know how long it'll take, but I'm looking for those in the mail too. That'll um, be cool. Yeah. So I've got, I've got a bunch of hafting to do when they get back. So I'm uh I'm looking is he's on your friends list, huh? Yeah. Just added him over the weekend. Randy okay. Buckmaster. That's a that's a, that is an awesome name. Isn't it? That is an awesome name. Okay, what else you got going on? Mm, not much. Not so I got some kind of head so. cold that I got from up there this weekend. Makes me annoyed. Yeah. But Gosh, there was something else we were going to talk about, but I can't remember what it was. Well, you got to you got to intro a lot of yeah. We have to interviews. talk about our interviews. Um, we we did like how many did we do? Like four? I think so. Okay. Oh, I know what we got to do. Did you hear that song I sent you? Oh, um, I I had a I had trouble like playing it in my phone. I need to put it on my computer so I can play it. Yeah. Uh, um, hang on one second. D- Dylan, who is who came up with us and made a knife this weekend, a really good one actually. Yep, yep, yeah. really nice. Um, he plays the banjo, mm-hmm. and he offered to come and play this for some. Um, he thought it was an appropriate song for our podcast because apparently he's listening to our podcast too. So, um, or started listening to it. So it's called "Shaving a Dead Man." Okay, and it's a it's a. Listen, I don't know if you can hear this or not. Not yet. Shaving a dead man. That's perfect. (laughs) 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 Okay, so I I won't make you listen to a lot of it, but he recorded this just on his cell phone. (laughs) <laughs> while he was while he was uh um 
he was just picking. That's and awesome. I, and sent it to me and said, "Do you think you'd want to you want to use this?" Yeah. And and I thought, well, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I said, well, we'll have to well, just get you over here and have you, you know, have you play for yeah. play into the can. <laughs> well, no. What we'll do is we actually we what we need to do is get him to record that, and then I can take that track and add uh, drums to it and other stuff like that, like a washboard and. I can I can okay. fancy that up if he wants to record it okay. and give us a good quality audio. <coughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll bring my can and let him record it. Yeah, <laughs> is that what they said at the in the? Um, I got to get myself one of those big fake beards. Oh yeah, because yeah. we could have been the soggy bottom boys at the grind in. Yeah, yeah. Between Dan like... and Dan and Dylan and myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they got the biggest. I mean, it's like they have beards that are like like bird like you could have a bird's nest in the beard. And they're they're like it. threatening beards. <laughs> <laughs> like like you haven't seen a beard like that in a long time. Yeah, like, I like, don't even know how you. They're totally threatening. <laughs> I was I was I actually said be careful when you're grinding because you may catch those on fire or catch them in the belt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Dan's shaved his beard for a year or two, yeah. maybe yeah. three. Looks it, like a, like a Santa Claus beard. Yeah, it's like huge. It's like this big threatening beard. Yeah, <laughs> he could probably hide something in there, like a like an MRE or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a survival beard because you yeah. always have stuff to. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, that's kind of funny thing about beards, but but they, but no, he said he would record it, and oh so yeah, we got to get a gonna do. high quality recording of that, and I'll put like washboard and. And other stuff behind it. Yep, that would be fun. I'll make an actual um, song out of it and put it up. Yep, yep, that'll be cool. Yeah, that'll be cool. And I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a real song or I don't know. Must be because yeah. he had a title for it. He, he yeah. called it "Shaving a Dead Man." Mm-hmm. So it must be that there's a uh, must be that that's actually a like song. a standard. Um, yeah. Yep. Like a pick or whatever you call lick. I guess you call them licks, right? Uh, I don't know. They I don't know what they call them for banjo, but I mean, like if you're if you're doing um, if you're if you're playing something on a harmonica, I think they call that a lick. Oh well, the no, it, um, yeah. If it was like one little one little thing, a whole song wouldn't be a lick, though. Like uh, or like on a guitar, like a whole song isn't a lick. It and I think on banjo they kind of follow patterns, mm-hmm. like picking patterns and stuff. So maybe that's what, maybe that's what they call it. I don't know. <coughs> um, knife wise, you got anything else? Bark River giveaway. Um, we're giving. Well, Mike Stewart is giving away a Bravo One and a Bravo One Point Five. Uh, you can go to the forums in general. There's a giveaway thread. You guys have one week. We're not messing around. So, like, if you aren't signed up and you don't post in that thread, you're missing out on, like, an awesome giveaway. Yeah, it is. It is, actually. Those are those are nice knives. Yeah, but it's being those given are... away by on the next podcast. So, you, you guys have been warned. Um, uh, let's see. Anything else? Anything else along those lines? I got nothing. Okay, so still let's... cold. It's still cold here. I mean, we're yeah. so sick. I mean, we we were talking about tapping trees this weekend, not knife wise, but in the woods wise. Yeah, we we're talking about tapping maple trees this weekend, and 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 Dylan said that they tapped about thirty of them, and they haven't gotten a drop of of sap yet. 
It doesn't seem like it would be time yet. We're, we're tr- well, no, it's last year we were we tapped trees on. I think Kathy said the 11th or the 15th of March last year, huh. and we were we had like like the first week we had a, a, we had a whole bunch of sap to huh. start. We had to start boiling like like three days after we tapped the first time because huh. I didn't have enough storage. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he said he's tapped like 30 trees so far, 35 trees so far, and he hasn't gotten any. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what is going on. Uh, even on the several warm days that we had, like last week we had a couple of days that went into the 40s, huh. you know, like 42, something like 30, 39, 42, mm-hmm. and, it, and it didn't make a difference. So I, I'm, we're like a full month behind where we should be. Hmm. Like I said, we had 10 below zero this morning, and it's freaking March, uh, what the hell 23rd, is it? March 24th. 23rd. Oh, it's the 24th, 20- I guess, right? Yeah, March 24th. Huh. March 24th, and it's 10 below zero. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I posted I posted this morning uh, that March came in like a lion, and it's supposed to go out like a lamb, but it's going out like a polar bear. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it'll <laughs> warm up in the next week. Um, it makes me wonder what our weather is going to be like at PWIP. We're, yeah, we're going to be freezing our asses off. We won't be freezing our asses off, but there will be people there freezing their asses right. off. We're not going to let anybody in our tent either. No, my TV. I'm, I'm deciding that, that that we're just not having, we're just not allowing that. Unless you're dying of, like, hypothermia, no, you're not coming in. <laughs> this is practice what you preach, damn it, and and you're not coming in. You're sta- you're, you're you're dying. You're, y'all should have thought about that. Exactly. But, you, uh, when you're in, there, in your freaking hammock. Yeah. Hanging from the tree when it's <laughs> like 30 degrees outside. Well, and this happened to me last year. At, uh, well, a couple of years ago at PWIP, it got colder than I thought it would, and I froze my ass off. Yeah. And so I went <laughs> and bought some Long Johns, and then I was fine. <laughs> Jimmy, uh, it was kind of comical because uh, we were, Jimmy, one year we were there, and it got, I mean, and if you've not been there, it does get cold there. It, it's been cold enough to snow. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's come down in snow. Mm-hmm. But worse, but worse than that, is if it rains. Mm. If it's if it's thirty eight degrees and raining, people prepare to die. <laughs> <laughs> because because let me tell you, that is a miserable shit. Yeah. Um, Jimmy was in a hammock one year, and uh, with a tarp over it, and it got it got chilly at night. You know, it got down yeah. to you know in the in the mid thirties, and um, he said that he was actually uncomfortable. Yeah, well, um, that's what that's what happened to me is like, I I just froze, you know, and then yeah. I got some long johns and I was fine. But I I do, man. There's some, something about hammocks, so they're just so awesome, and you you're never gonna get wet, you know. It's it's yeah. uh, and they're very comfortable. I don't know. But, I don't know. I, I I don't like them when it's real cold out. No, I, no, no I, because me and you can't build a fire underneath them. And you feel like you're on a history. <laughs> yeah. Well. um... <laughs> <laughs> I have so, seen I have I have seen guys that have they build like a tarp over the shelter over the top of it and then they actually have like a wood stove inside the really inside the tarp yeah I, I, if you well if then you what's the point shit, <laughs> well you have like a you have like a okay so it'd be like a this guy had like a uh, he built like a plastic somehow or another he had like a plastic thing over the top of his hammock right like a big plastic like almost like a bubble. Part of it was clear plastic so that he could get some radiant sunlight heat in there. Okay. And then he and then he had on the back side of it he had a little like a little dinky wood stove. Right. That had a little dinky thing that went out 
through uh through it through the uh, side of the tarp okay. like a you know so he yeah. was able to have like a little wood stove inside of his little tent shelter thingy uh-huh. but he had a hammock hanging inside of it and okay. I thought well that seems like stupid but yeah. <laughs> well so <laughs> but we're it gonna, was what it was we're gonna be there with uh, teepee and this morning I took the center pole that I forgot to bring and I put that in the bag okay so that's for sure coming and then um. Yeah, can don't you, forget that because we'll have to. Otherwise, well, we'll have to use the tracker knife we, and make a center pole. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you want, um, maybe you could just. I, for some reason, I think the I think the tent stakes for that are actually in with that. But if you just want to confirm that, okay. Because I, I looked and um, they're not in with the pole, but I think they're <clears throat> in with the actual tent. But I don't want to show up without those. Um, I may, I may make, I may bring my little one too, just for shits and giggles. Like, is okay. And then you got to bring me a um, a cot. That's basically yeah. all I need is for yeah. me to throw a cot in. But we're gonna have a twelve man Kifaru teepee with a wood. We're not letting stove. anybody in it either. Well, Brian, we're not. We're not gonna have. Well, you know who else is coming? Um, a fellow named Gene Boyd is coming. Okay. Gene Boyd is, you'll like him, he's a nice guy. He's yeah. a fellow that, that has the piss test lab. Oh, okay. And he's kind of semi-retired. Nice nice guy. He um, uh, he used to, back in the day, he used to reprofile blades quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And he would do it by hand. Wow. I mean, he would take a leather strop and sit down and just, grind down a blade with a leather strap. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was... Uh, <laughs> I was like, I have no idea how you have enough time to do something like that. Just even if you're even if you're like doing it in your sleep, sitting on your reclining chair in the evening, relaxing. I mean, it, it would, it it would be like three, 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 four, five hours a night mm. to, to, to take off that much metal. But he mm. used to do it. But but he's a, he's a, uh, a very good woodsman. I mean, he is a... Um, a consummate woodsman. He has been up here camping with me in the wintertime. Uh-huh. And when it was like 20 below zero when we were outside in a three-sided tent. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, uh, he's, he's a good guy. Good guy to have around. Um, I, I'm not sure about, and Brian's coming too, so I'm not, we're, we're, I'm trying to figure out the logistics of it because. Well, with, yeah, vehicle-wise may be difficult. Right, um, exactly. Because your Jeep, I'm does it have a luggage rack? Well, I'm thinking I might take my little trailer. I might take my little flat trailer and put my uh, prowler on it. Okay, and then so just that we could fit inside there. it, and then we'll just bring a little trailer and and uh, and have and we can just stuff it. Cause I'm I decided that I'm not going to take like an ass load of shit this time. Yeah, I mean normally when I go to this thing, I have I I, I put the seats down in my jeep and I fill it up with shit. Well, you know, Ethan's going to be there with all his crap, and Dave is coming, and he's going to have all his stuff. Dave has got... Well, and, and, and the thing is that Dave hurt himself this year. Yeah. He he hurt his... Uh, he tore his... Uh, I, and I don't know if he's off of crutches yet. I mean, he we were talking about that over the weekend, but I don't but mm-hmm. I don't know if he's off crutches yet. He didn't say one way or the other. So I'm I'm assuming that he's not going to be bringing as much crap as he normally brings because he just doesn't have the ability to do it, and mm-hmm. Patty is not going to load his truck for him. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so we've got Brian, who who probably won't bring a lot of stuff, and uh, I think I'm not even going to bring a change of clothes. I think I'm going to change. I'm I'm not even going to bring underwear. I'm just going to 
I'm just gonna bring go a loincloth. <laughs> I'm gonna just be bring a loincloth, and I'm gonna go commando. Well, I'm just I'm just gonna bring a duffel bag, and um, that duffel bag is gonna have my sleeping bag. I'm gonna have the clothes that I'm wearing, and probably a change of clothes for the plane ride home, and that's yeah. it. And then um, the tracker knife. Um, I'll probably bring a parang and a small folder, and uh, maybe a cup so I can drink water. And uh, that's probably about it. We'll whittle, we'll whittle plates. Yeah, whittle plates. Forks and spoons. Yeah. For all you bushcrafters. <laughs> but, uh, let's see. Hip, we'll call them hip crafters. Yeah, so we're we're getting ready for that. Um, uh, what else? Let's see. Um, I don't know. We had we had we did a bunch of interviews. Okay, so let's talk about. Um, uh, interview number one was with, uh, who was interview number one? <laughs> you better listen to him again. I don't even remember the order that they came in. Okay. So, um, I- I'll just, uh, I'll just put up, um, just randomly, I'm going to talk about the four interviews and then I'll just put them up and splice them in. Um, so inter- one interview was with Lon Humphrey. Um, another interview was with a knife maker, um, who uh, makes these great, uh, you know, really, really high-end blades um, that he he does all of the work, file work and stuff, and so there would be that interview. Another interview was with uh, Dustin. With Dylan. Dylan, Dylan. Dylan Cook. Dylan Cook, uh, and he, just for, as the perspective of someone who comes to a... Uh, <coughs> a first-time grind... Yeah, grind in. That isn't like this huge knife nut. Somebody that just right. shows up, and then he, he, yeah, was there he one was more? His... Oh, I know who it was. Mark Reich. Finally, Mark, and yeah. So th- those are the four. It was Lon Humphrey, Mark Reich, and then um, the other custom knife maker, and then uh, uh, Dylan. Mm-hmm. So we'll splice those in. Um, I think you'll find them interesting. Uh. You got anything else? No, pretty much not. All right. Still burning wood in my fire, so I got to go and I still got to go and put wood in the fire and get a bunch of stuff done today. It's one of those things, you know. We've got we've got uh, Obamacare destroying the cunt, the medical field. We've got world's coming to an end. We've got <laughs> Putin is invading. Communism is on the rise. Man, you can get me in trouble again. Ma- you know, dogs and cats getting married. Oh, did living you see together the, did, and sin. Did you see the story from Great Britain today? I'm just dogs gonna, and cats no, having I'm just, sex. I'm just going to tell you about the uh, the article, and I'm not commenting at all. So, all you people that like like freak out when we say anything political, I'm just going to tell you. Look on the UK. A te- the Telegraph in um, in uh, Britain there. Well, how can they? No, like no. I'm, is there I'm enough, laughing. Is there enough fat on a baby to heat a house? Listen, like what what I'm saying is is like uh, I'm I'm laughing because it's so preposterous. Like you couldn't write that. Like it's so ridiculous. It's so over the top, but it, yet it's true. And that's all I'm saying is like it's ridiculous, but it's true. And um, that's the end of my well, thoughts on it. Uh, I did see something, and I'm not sure where this is going yet. Something from uh, on the news that was about 
a plume of smoke or something coming from maybe New Mexico or Arizona. Have you seen that? No. Google Google that shit. Google that shit. Um, there's a. Hang on a second. Let me Google that for a second. See exactly what I mean. I saw it. Um, I saw it come across my my screen the other day, and I I kind of looked at it, but I was busy doing something else. And it was a. Um, it was from. I th- there was it was satellite images. It was satellite images from a fire or something mm-hmm. from coming from the uh, 1945 nuclear bomb test site baffles okay. weathermen. <laughs> and so I've not seen this in the mainstream news yet, but I've seen a bunch of different images coming from New Mexico. Okay. And uh, and I was curious if you'd seen anything no, about I, that. No, I haven't. I. I, I didn't ever see anything like that. But, uh, well, um, I don't have anything else. Like uh, we, I did notice that our uh, plenty of people have rated us on iTunes and some new comments. Thanks for that. Uh, you know, if you like the podcast, drop us a rating. Um, very often, the only people motivated enough to rate you and then write a review are people who are pissed that you were talking about political stuff <laughs> people don't like us talking about political stuff really well some some don't um but um usually it's people that disagree with us uh and they can't argue with us so they just call us racist <laughs> so uh thanks for your uh ratings on itunes thanks for your nice reviews we, we do appreciate it yeah and uh thanks for listening and if you have questions, uh, you can. There's a couple ways that you will get our attention. One is to write us uh, podcast at knifejournal.com, <laughs> and the other is to uh, start a, a thread on the forums. Yep. Um, and another way is to wear a loincloth with your junk hanging out. Yeah. That'll get, that'll, that, that, that'll that get will get Kyle's you talked attention. about for a long time on the podcast. <laughs> if you show up with that, like, <laughs> that, that makes a real impression. Uh, well keep your knives sharp and your friends sharper and i'm gonna next time yep and i'm splicing in the interviews now Introduce our guests. You go ahead. You go ahead. We go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Our guest is going to introduce himself then.
I'm Mark Reich of Reich Precision. Uh, I will hand forge uh, differentially hardened blades out of 5200. My main thing. Uh, really like neck knives. There you go. Well, you have Mark. Welcome. You. You. Um. No oh, crap. You're. From Wyoming, as I call, recall, or Colorado, yeah, the corner I, we, of Montana. It's right in the corner of Wyoming. Uh, we got land in South Dakota and Wyoming. So you're <coughs> a lot of your my my freaking voice is terrible today. We're up at Bark River Knives, by the way. We should introduce ourselves. Well, we'll, we'll cover it. This is this is we were we're at this point we're already introduced. Okay. This is going to be spliced right. in in the middle. So. Mark uh, has actually been mentioned a lot on the podcast. This is the guy that we I could not find his Internet site to give to you. We were, last year at the, at the grind in here, we were talking about going mule deer hunting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who, the, who was, was it you? You and I yeah, were yeah. talking to him about it? Yeah, trying to sneak up your way and blast some muleys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have like 500 pounds of meat in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> and is that, that's what I meant. Is that where you're, um, a yeah. lot of your knife influence comes from actually as a matter of fact it really does um i started out uh hunting really early i was really young uh you know like eight years old well i mean i i carried a bb gun for as long as i can ever remember if i could work the action on it i could use it um my dad started out uh his my uncle gave my dad a gerber uh, Shorty mm-hmm. in about 1971 or 72 and dad could not ever get that knife sharp it's M4 it's hard steel and uh, my granddad taught me how to sharpen so he gave me an India stone set with, uh, with the oil and I, I would work for a couple hours on that Gerber Shorty I got it really, really sharp you know um but yeah, definitely uh, been hunting all, all my life. You're from what's the name of the town you're from? Belfouche. Belfouche, Montana. Belfouche, South Dakota. South Dakota. Yep. How how far is that from uh, Rapid Rapid River? Not Rapid. Rapid, Rapid City. Rapid City. We're we're about 45 minutes northwest of Rapid City. We're on the very northern edge of the Black Hills. Okay, so you're you're above 80. Above 90. Yeah, yeah, above 90, just a little bit. 40, 40 10 miles. North 10 miles above 90. Where it, where it, uh, where, yeah, right where it goes into Wyoming. We used to run that road from Gillette to, Gillette to Buffalo. And we count how many dead deer were on the highway. <laughs> it's an 80 mile run. Yeah. And we would count sometimes as many as 300 dead dead deer that were hit by on the road down that long stretch. The last time I was out there was I was probably 17 years old hunting out there. We used to hunt in Buffalo. Sure. And uh, it was always a big deal. My whole family used to go out there and go hunting all the time. Just love that area. We run, I believe, 80, 90 all the way out. And then so it splits eighty ninety splits to eighty and ninety somewhere. Yeah, in that I think you're right in that region. So, uh, you you're doing a lot of uh, you're 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 a, a bladesmith, which is different I'm, from a stock removal knife guy for our listeners at home. 
That's that's true. Um, ABS member? I I don't know. I'm not not involved in ABS. Um, I guess uh, we're politically incorrect, so you can. Yeah, I, I, I'm not real enthused with the leadership of the ABS, but you know, a lot of people feel that way, and a lot of people don't. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter to me one way or another. You know, you uh-huh. look at a guy's knife and judge it on that. You know. Yeah. Um. I uh, I started out being the the first apprentice of Murray Carter, first his first apprentice. Ever he started an apprenticeship for me. Okay. And uh, and then I met Ed Fowler. I, did, I decided I couldn't forge uh, the kind of steel that Murray uses without a hammer, without a power hammer. And I really, really wanted to forge good steel. So I I searched uh, knife forums like crazy. Mm-hmm. I was on all the knife forums, and I gave Ed Fowler a call. And he was just as nice and welcoming as I could possibly believe. He just said, come on down anytime, and we'll just make some knives. And that was that was really where I started learning how to forge. And, of course, that's all I use is 5200. And uh, I'll use some of that steel, some of that laminated steel. Of, of I've got a power hammer now, but... Um, I really enjoy 5200, and and there is a lot of performance out of that steel mm-hmm. yet to be found. I mean, it's some of the things uh, some of the things that Ed says. A lot of people don't really believe that that's possible, but it's surprising it's surprising what's possible with that steel given given enough time. And are you doing are you doing salt bath heat treats and nope. No salt bath. Uh, all my all my heating is done in the, with the kiln. Mm-hmm. Um, just haven't gotten into the salt bath yet. Uh, n- nothing, there's obviously nothing wrong with them. That's for that's for sure. Right. Um, uh, it, it's just it's basically uh, I forge in a forge, and so it is somewhat removed from modern. Uh, blades, well, blades, yeah, someone removed them. I don't know very many bladesmiths that use salt baths, right. to be honest with you. It's a, it's a, um, so you, are you using a coal forge? Or a propane uh, I forge? I use a propane forge. Okay. Yep. T-Rex. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Hmm. Yeah, rocks. a lot of, uh, it's like, that's like another level of, it seems like the salt bath guys will tell you that it's another level of performance you get out of the metal. Yeah. That that you can't quite get there, whether it makes a difference or not. Yeah. It ends up, you know. Yeah. It, it ends up to be a point, but sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So I have a, a question about your differential heat treat. So, um, if when you're using the kiln, you heat the entire blade up. And right. Then, uh, are you just dipping the edge and then no. requenching, or do you quench um, the whole thing at once? And that's not. Play? That's not. The, I don't. I don't do the hamans, uh, just because they're they're just for looks. Um, okay. I I heat treat for performance purely okay. for performance. So, are you are you comfortable telling us like? 
You don't have to tell us specifics. I can tell you, but like, can tell you a generally. little bit, but what I'm working on right now is, is actually going to supersede what I'm doing okay. right now. But I'll tell you how I learned and how I've been doing it. Okay. Um, I basically, uh, you know, I go out and forge a blade, uh, and, I, and I normally work for five or six or eight hours, whatever, and I'll bring home 10 or 15 blades, and uh, depending on what size they are. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I can tell you my whole heat process, but it, basically I relieve the, I relieve the stress, and then I take them down to annealed, Grind them uh, probably within thirty thousandths or so, and take a acetylene torch, heat the edge, and quench the entire blade. The first time I I heat the blade, I try to heat about two thirds of the blade, mm-hmm. and then the second time I heat about one third of the blade, so that you can see two distinct heat lines on there after it's etched. Okay. Once I once it's hardened, uh, then it goes in the regular ferric oxide etching solution. Okay. Everybody uses that. Okay. PCB etching. But um, where does the kiln come into play? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, well, that's kind of the the kiln comes into play uh, by setting up the steel. I set the steel up. I Refine the grain, uh-huh. and that requires quite a few okay. uh, cycles through the. In fact, uh, I go about eight. Goes through eight, about eight cycles uh, through the kiln. Okay. Um, quenching. Uh, what is what's the? Is not neutralizing. Uh, quenching and. Yeah, different. Yep. Yeah, no. Uh, it's hard. Anyway, I'm sorry. You know what? Listen. Don't. I'm sorry. Don't worry. Yeah. We I don't think about it. I'll, in two seconds, I'll think about it. Yeah. <laughs> we. Uh, that happens to me a lot. I get yeah. like brain farts, and yeah. I, especially somebody's name. I'll be like, uh-huh. or the name of a knife model, or something like that. I'll just totally like. Okay, <laughs> I, I know that. I should know that. I carried one for 19 years. <laughs> For God's sakes, he's my father. Why don't I know his name? <laughs> I do that shit all the time. Well, so you're you have a a big process that you go through. It's it's not like when I was in the Philippines, these guys were pounding these knives out of out of leaf spring. They'd kind of straighten them, then they'd heat them up to red hot. And they'd just dunk the edge in some oil, and then they'd let it let it cool right. off. Like so, you're you're way beyond what. So yeah. So who is your typical customer? Um, you see a guy that takes his nice hunting. We, yep, we've got. Uh, we take in. We have a lot of hunters come hunt with us, and so a lot of those guys have bought my knives. A lot of guys they know have bought my knives, and the other main outlet for me is the Sturgis Rally. Mm-hmm. Um. I just Did you meet him at Sturgis? No. I was I was there on a triumph. So I stood out like a last sore year? thumb. No, in twenty twelve. 
Oh. Like, <laughs> I stood out like a sore hey, yeah, thumb. No, nobody, nobody really cares. Yeah, but, no, yeah, people loved that bike. Yeah. Yeah, they, I was there on a Bonneville, and, like, all these guys were, like, just yeah. loving it, but... You know. Yeah, they're pretty pretty open minded. It's very yeah. easygoing. It's a, it's a lot different than most people think. But yeah, um, yeah it, the rally is you, just huge. You're going. Don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> What's that? Why you were there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I was there. I, I was there, but I was dressed like I'm dressed now, like just a dork, you know. Uh-huh. So I didn't, I didn't put on a biker costume, and they they kind of appreciated that, you know. So <laughs> they left me alone. Like, Wal- where's yeah. Waldo? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So so you sell a lot there, and yeah, I, I sell a lot of knives there. Uh, so really, a lot of your stuff is is. Being used. I mean, you guys are taking it out hunting and yeah. Um, I do a I do a limited edition for the Buffalo Chip uh, Campground, which is the biggest, uh, oldest biker campground in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually no, be- no um, we rented a house from a private. The, the people in that city like run right. They they get the hell out of there, <laughs> and so we rented exactly. one of the houses. But yeah, that's that's really typical because if you're not in tune with with the rally people and i mean there's just not a lot of people in western south dakota that are in tune with bikers and so yeah that's when that's when we take vacation you know and rent rent our house that you know it costs us 350 dollars a month we rent it out for you know 12 or 1500 dollars a month and uh i mean that's typical yeah. That that region does that have a lot of people that were working in the coal mine or the the big coal? They're, they're gold mines. Gold mines where you gold are. Gold mines. So yeah. that'd be like that would be like uh, back in the day when they had uh, Deadwood. Deadwood, yeah. Yep. Deadwood, baby. That's yep. like my favorite show. Yeah, that's yeah, an awesome show. <laughs> I love that show. Yeah, that's super cool. My understanding is that the the one the store guy. Swedgen, yeah, Swedgen. Is, is actually like three different characters rolled into the one guy, but everybody but, else in there is supposed to be pretty close. To but that that guy though is actually he was a real character, but they they put other character right. traits into right, it. Right, right, right. But he he was actually from Iowa. Right. Uh, I can't remember the town, but yeah, the the, the the marshal was a real dude, and yeah, Seth Bullock. Yeah, yeah, Seth Bullock actually founded Buffish. Oh, really? Yep. That's a, that's actually a great a great show. Yeah. Yep. Bullock Hotel Hotel yeah, is I've still there. there. I've stayed yeah. in that. It's screwy. There's uh, we have natural resources. You mentioned coal and stuff. Um, so you're more like like by lead. That's lead. Lead. Yeah, but th- no, that's not, that's that's <laughs> right by. Uh, no, he's way north of that because lead yeah. and all of that is south. But I mean, that becomes 90. all. But that becomes yeah, all I mean, gold mine area. There, it's that's within forty coal. miles. Yeah. That's a huge gold mine. In, in, in it was the biggest gold mine in the Western Hemisphere right. at one time, and it, now it's the deepest hole, and they're putting uh, some kind of a. They're they're testing how deep, how many neutrinos, uh, you know that is some kind of yep. sunbeam, uh, can penetrate. Well, uh, they're down about a mile. Okay. In the in the in the gold mine. Yeah. The gold mine is is. Shut down. They, they got, I guess they got as much gold as they could uh, feasibly get out of it, 
and it is really, really deep, though. It, I think it goes down to 7,000 feet, hmm. but it just fills I mean, up with get, water. They go down there, they have to get, like, uh, you have to decompress Jeez. when you come out. But hmm. that was my understanding with that whole deal was when they're, when they guys go to work, we're going to work down there, yeah. they get the bends. Yeah, hmm. well, I think it probably has more to do with, like, uh, sinus problems and... Well, yeah, but it's uh, atmospheres. What yeah. what happens is the pressure from it's like diving. Yeah. When you go thirty foot of water, pressurizes the air, and it your nitrogen goes into your blood. So it becomes a liquid under that pressure. And if you're down that far, I mean, yeah, but it's communicating it's, with the surface, though. It's it's, it's, it's just it's just oh, the air, it's pressure. air pressure. It's air pressure. Of air that's on it's, top. It's of air that. pressure yeah. versus yeah. water pressure. Yeah, yeah. water yeah. weighs a lot more. Right, than air. exactly. So I don't. What happens in thirty feet? Happens at a thousand feet, right? Yeah, or okay. whatever, whatever it, the numbers are. But it's exactly it's, like going on a, on a big ass elevator. Yeah, it's exactly when, when you there. when you were uh, when when they built the Brooklyn Bridge, they had a thing called caisson disease. Okay, and that was from the guys digging the holes under oh, the rivers in a caisson, and they would get the bends there huh. because they had they basically had a wall holding everything all the water out, and yeah. they were down there digging, and they'd be down there digging for twelve hours. And they come up, and all of a sudden, all the nitrogen that turned into liquid in their blood became decided they wanted to be a gas again in their bloodstream. Oh, boy. So you had guys getting paralyzed, and but they do. I mean, they knew that, so they had limit the amount of time that they can and how fast they can yep. come back up, and because yep. they have to, they have to decompress. Same way we do when we're diving. Huh. It's kind of interesting. It's a neat. People realize that when you work a mile below the surface. Now. The the reason we've mentioned Mark before on the podcast is because of his neck knife, and uh, it. I'm gonna we're gonna put a link to your website. Why don't you give your website out? It's just right precision. R e i c h precision dot com. Yep. Do you make other stuff? Are you like the local, like fix everything guy? That I got. I've got like. I do have a machine shop and that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the things that is really popular, a couple of things that I make that are really popular are uh, modified uh, platen for the Kalamazoo 1x42 grinders. Those things are really popular. In fact, if you gr- if you Google that, you'll find me. If you just Google 1x42 platen. Google that shit. Yeah, Google that shit. You'll probably, uh, <laughs> you'll probably find me. Um, I'm on knife forums a lot. Uh, uh, th- that was kind of where I... I I really started getting interested in sharpening was in knife forums. So you were really kind of like a knife, a knife collector first before yeah. a knife lover. And yep. Um, but it was, it wasn't until I was actually fairly recently, you know, like uh, six or seven years ago, I started collecting old Gerbers again. And, uh, you know, they are hard to sharpen. And so, you know, and then I learned about these Japanese kitchen knives and, and all these other really fancy knives that I'd never heard about. And I thought, well, man, I need to know how to sharpen those. You know, I mean, somebody should be able to sharpen them. So uh, that was my that was my first penchant was knife collecting, then sharpening. Then I wanted to be a, a professional sharpener, so I bought – I, sp- I spent like two months – Going around to different uh, hair sharpener, hair sharpeners, and 
just I, I learned how to sharpen everything, clippers and everything. And I tried... That's, that's a lot of work. It, dude, <laughs> you are not... It is a lot of work. It is so much work. A lot of it, credit that do it, that, because that's huge. So you it to, is. You have to be like... You have to deal with all of your clients. Yep. You have to be real... Yeah, friendly. It's, it's but then real. you have to know how to sharpen absolutely everything that comes across that yep. they have. And if you don't, you're 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 a dumbass. Yeah, there's a there's you're a, that dumbass guy that can't sharpen my freaking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a guy that with uh, like a U-Haul truck that's been modified, with a big generator on it that comes around to most of the hospitals to sharpen all the stuff. And when he's there, we all we sit around. And they they do. Uh, I mean, that that's that's they do. Oh, restaurants. I mean, that's a real common thing for, yep. for yep. Re- you know, they'll drive into a restaurant and sharpen all the knives in the restaurant, and they'll go to the next restaurant. And they'll have, like, a regular, like, a paper route yep. that they that's go cool. around and that's exactly clippers here. So, uh, yeah, that's, and it's a lot of, that's a lot of work. It turned out to be too much work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do that. And I don't even know, I, I've never... I don't even know what you charge for something like that. What do you charge? What would, what would uh, somebody for, charge for? For a hair shears, it's like uh, $25 to $35, kind of depending on where you are. Um, or what's wrong with the scissors. Um, but, you did know. You, did you repair them, too? I'm sorry? Like, did you repair them, too? Some of those oh, yeah. guys, like, if they drop yeah, them on the absolutely. ground, they get a little nick in them or a bend. No, no I, I, I had to do everything. I had to do everything. I mean, if I was going to sharpen your shears, obviously, they had to work properly right, first. Right, right, So, yeah, that that's there's a lot more to sharpening hair shears than than it appears, and that's why they're so expensive. Well, it, people out there real, they'll realize that a lot of times, if you we're we're into knives, we're into collecting knives and gear and that kind of stuff, and there's people that cut hair, they collect scissors and they <laughs> they share is just like we collect knives and they're like awesome and they're yeah and they're yeah. and they're and you they're real anal for. about stuff like that oh yeah they yeah. big money for yeah. that you, know? you yeah. spend six hundred dollars on a pair of hair shears in a minute yeah because you got to remember that every hobby like that we have there's other hobbies that are just this people are just as passionate about it yeah. as we are about knives and about gear and about all a lot of other stuff but you know, there's there's people that collect salt and pepper shakers that are just as passionate <laughs> about salt and pepper shakers as yeah. we are about knives. Yeah, I'm only passionate about it when I need them for the when I'm eating. I'm passionate about eating. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, getting back to this neck knife, the the reason I uh, geek out about this thing is that it's a neck knife, but when you have it in your hand, it feels like a fixed blade with a full handle on well, it. it. Yes. Because it is a fixed blade. Yeah, it, it's a fixed blade, but what I'm getting at is it feels like a full-size knife. It, it but does. It's, it's like, it's not. Like, the handle is, um, looks like it's, about two and a half, three inches it's long. One, it's one finger short. That's all yeah. it is. It's basically one finger short. But it's, uh, that's... Um, but I that think it's the shape, the shape of the of the way it became one finger short makes the makes yeah. it feel special. Yeah, that that is a, Why that's it, very Why it hangs true. on the little finger. Um uh, it, okay, it's it's really weird how how this all came to be. Uh, you know, of course it was a mistake. You know, first of all, it was a mistake. You know, yeah, they always I'm, say the mother of necessity or the mother of invention is necessity, but yeah. the reality of it is the mother of invention is a mistake. That's, that is so true, man. It is so true. I just I had a knife and the handle was a little bit short, and I thought, God, man, why can't I just you know tweak it a little bit here and uh, and 
you know, the, and then I had guys come to my shop and they picked that knife up and go, what is this? Wow, this is killer. I can't believe it. You know, it was just immediately people glommed onto that knife and were like, this feels awesome. I can't believe it. There's so little. So, uh, it didn't take very long before I, I uh, had basically the exact knife that I make today. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've been making it for a couple of years, I guess. Yeah, and you, and that's pretty popular with your like yeah. one of the most popular models yourself. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's it's the most distinct. That that's for sure. I've never seen anybody else make one. Uh, I've never seen another one, even remotely like it, to be honest. But uh, so yeah, the the. The, uh, uniqueness is the selling point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a step forward in design, is is what what I think. You know, I yeah, I, I don't think, remember. I think you're you're not giving it enough credit. If you just say it's unique, well, yeah, the the knife that a six year old grinds out that doesn't work like worth a damn, that's unique too. But it's not a step <laughs> forward in design. Um, I think that when people see that and find out about it, it's it's going to be widely, widely, mm-hmm. widely copied. And so I want to make sure that you get the credit for it before all these yahoos steal your idea. Uh, I really appreciate it. You'll, you'll find there are a lot of little intricacies about this knife that are not obvious, and that is what is, that's what's going to separate somebody who wants to make a knife like this from this knife, yeah, there are there are certain little things that I've tweaked on this design that I don't know why other people don't think about, but I, I'm not trying to brag. But I mean, there are a couple other things that are just very very critical to the design of this knife that are not apparent. And I don't want you to give that away because I want okay. that to be your intellectual property. And if anybody wants to know what it is, they have to buy a knife. And then they have to be smart yeah, enough. Then they have to figure it then out. Then they have to figure it out. Yeah. I, when I held it, I knew right away what it was. Yeah. Um, but you're a hand surgeon. Yeah. But So I knew immediately what it was. Now, I've, I've said on the podcast before that I don't like finger grooves on a knife. Um, there's an exception. This knife has finger grooves, but they're done right. If you notice, when I've said before, uh, I, the, if you put finger grooves on a knife, they have to be perfectly done. And there's there's so few people that understand that and know how to do that that I just have a blanket fatwa against finger grooves on a knife. I just, no, you cannot put them on there. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so, But this is the one exception. And the, uh you're going to get us in trouble saying shit like that. Well, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> you know, look, look, you can sell, you can make it and sell it. I don't care. Like, you know, do what you want. But I'm just telling you, like, I'm not going to buy it. And it, that's only my personal opinion. You know, you're certainly entitled to your opinion. But those, this is the one knife that I think the finger grooves are done the way they should be. And of all of the knives that I've ever held, like this, in it just my humble opinion is the one. So that's, yeah, that's that's what I would say. Jeez, in my humble opinion, um, people don't think out finger choils as well as they should have. Mm-hmm. But it's not that big. It's really not that big a deal. I mean, 
No, it is. <laughs> it is a big deal. To, like I said, to get it to function right, that's the innovation. And then to, to shorten the handle and have it actually work. And to even have the idea in the first place. Like, you're not giving yourself enough credit. I'm, so I'm going to give it to you. But, uh, <laughs> I really appreciate that. Anyway, don't argue with him when he gets like this. No, I'm like, like, no I'm, I'm like on a crusade about this thing. Um, but uh, check out uh, uh, Right Precision, R-E-I-C-H, precision.com, uh, and check out yeah. these Neckers, and I hope you sell 100 million of them. Thanks, Mark. I would think you will. I yeah. would think you will. Because they're they're well, I, he's already sold me one. Because <laughs> I have I have a uh, I have some uh, projects and stuff, um, but I'm not saying anything about that. But I've already I've already talked to Mark about it. Yeah. Full credit. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. thanks for thanks for having being on board with us. Yeah. Okay. John Doyle. John Doyle. See, we were never introduced. No. He poked me in the back with an axe. Right. That's how we get introduced here. Jennifer. John Doyle and Jennifer. Okay, we're sitting here with knife maker John Doyle and his wife Jennifer at the Bark River Grind-In, and we're going to be talking about knives that he makes. Which, where's your suitcase? Right here, because I want to play with them. Well, we're talking about them. Tell us a little bit about your the style of knives you like to make. Um, I like to mostly hand forge if I can. So I hand forge hunters. Um, I am a hunter, so they're near and dear to me. And you're from you're from I'm from Gladwin, Michigan. You're from Gladwin? Yeah. Shut up! I didn't know that. See, you're not very far from here. I I moved back here recently in May. I used to live in Montana. Okay, so I got one. And I, I have fascination with bigger knives, so they're fun. Bowies are fun to make, and so beautiful work. I, I want to do more of those too. Now, are you uh, are you involved with the ABS? Not currently. Were you involved with the no? Ideas? No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about joining. Yeah, yeah. They came and took my stamp. No, I, I'm. Uh, I'm thinking about joining. Are you going to go to the the, the um, seminar that's at uh, in Camp Daggett? I don't know. Have you heard about it? Yeah. I, you I know Tim Zawada? No, I don't. He's a nice guy. He's he's a he's my neighbor. He's oh, okay. A, he's a he's a good friend of mine. But. Um, there's going to be a great, phenomenal um, seminar going on in Petoskey. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I talked to Kevin Cashin Kevin on Cashin's the phone a couple months ago, and he mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to try to get up there. When is it again? The last weekend in May. Okay. So it's a 30, 
30th and 31st, or the yeah, 29th, 30th, and 31st. There's a Facebook page for it. What is it, <clears throat> like Great Lakes Bladesmith Society or whatever? Yeah. Something like that. Are we friends on Facebook? No, I, I don't. You don't do, do Facebook? Facebook. You're, not, you're not? You you are? Okay. Okay, friend me, and so I can send you information. <laughs> I don't even know you. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, so, so anyway, um, you're... You're doing forged work. This is beautiful. Yeah. Now, um, and then there's a lot of uh, file work and all sorts it, of other neat details. What is this handle material? That's uh, Hawaiian silky oak. It's naturally two-tone. I, I, tr- I personally don't like the dyed stuff. If, so, it's, if it naturally occurs, I like to try to work with it because it's unique. Okay, do you look at a block of wood and, and can see the handle inside of it and see the... The fittings in the blade, yeah. I build a lot of knives from the handle first. So, so I shop really hard for exotic woods that are unique. I'm, I'm really fussy about wood handles. So yeah, and this, and this one definitely shows. I wish we had a, a, a video on this because this is a beautiful piece. It almost comes alive when you move it in the light. Do you have a website that we can direct people to? I don't. Yeah, I have an email list of okay. collectors that, when I make something that's available, like that piece, <laughs> uh-huh. I will send out to the collectors. How Good. can we? How can we? Send people to well, you. Tell, tell us how you, well, how can we send Right, people? Right now, email is, is the best. My email is jdoylenives at gmail.com. Okay. Where did you learn to do this? <laughs> if you're not a member of the ABS, you, you... I knew when I was 12 that I wanted to make knives I didn't know about for a living, but I wanted to make some knives, and I messed with it on my own for a while, and it was really tough. I got basically nowhere, ground old files, and I wasn't very good at it. Um, so you went through the repurposing thing? and Yeah, yeah, I did. I, did. I, didn't, know, I didn't know about good hit, knife steel or anything. Hit, hit, hit. Did you work on lawnmower blades? No. Oh. No, no. So fun. you never stooped that low. <laughs> no, I never stooped, I never stooped that low. I, I stayed mostly to files and higher-end stuff. Uh, no, I got nowhere with that, and... Um, I was a carpenter building houses, and when that tanked and the economy got low, I started thinking about taking this knife-making more serious and decided to take some lessons. So I was needing a better grinder, which which led me to a call to Burking, and they recommended me to Tom McGinnis down in Ozark, Missouri, who was their main distributor at the time. And so I called and talked to Tom. He's a very nice man, and we... He sold me a grinder for a great price and agreed that since I bought the grinder and all the accessories that if I would fly down there and pay for my travel, he'd give me their class for free. Oh, so that's how I got started out in grinding blades and stock removal. When I came back from Tom's, I still had all these questions and realized that I still wanted more. And I was living in Montana, so I called Ed Caffrey, Master Bladesmith, and he was very polite, very helpful, offered an invite, and he said, you're welcome here anytime, but... You should look up Master Smith John Christensen. I think he's over there near you. So I called John Christensen out of the blue, and he's apprehensively and hesitantly said, "Yeah, I guess you can stop by." Uh, and I took him and showed him some of my early knives that I made. I'd only made about five at the time, and uh, we struck up an eventual friendship. And and he pretty much took me on as an apprentice. He was 15 minutes from my house. I had never heard of the man. And so that ended up being a long-lasting. 
So and so that's you basically have learned from a master smith. Yes, and two, learned a lot of techniques. Two, and, and two. I learned first learned how to forge blades. I took a class with Ed Caffrey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then John was much closer, much you know, so much more convenient. I spent a lot more time with John then, and further refined it. John taught me how to make my knives light and and fast and balanced, but still be strong and and tough. You know, hold a good edge, but trim off the bulk and the weight. They're beautiful pieces, very, very beautiful pieces. Now, do you do leather work, too, and make your own sheets, that kind of stuff? I, I used to. I'm now working with professional <laughs> sheath maker, Claude Scott. Leather was something that I didn't put the same passion into it. Right. And so my knives quickly outgrew my leather, and I think they're at the point where they deserve some nice leather. So yeah. I'm working with Claude Scott, who builds sheaths for Mastersmith Bruce Bump, mm-hmm. and, and Claude does really top-notch leather work. So. I haven't seen one of these perform yet, but my my gut tells me that more than likely you could probably take your it, you you probably would fit in that realm of guys that that could pass the the test without even going through the apprenticeship. They um I test almost every blade. Um, the the tests I put them through, I don't really advocate this, but. Pine is very soft. Pine knots are very hard, and if anything will chip a blade, pine knots will. Right. So my blades are thin, but they all get tested on pine knots. Uh, they get tested on a piece of elk antler, and then I do shave curls off a 16-penny nail. And, and they, they have to pass those with no edge damage. And then they will also cut at least 200 pieces of sisal rope, 3 8 sisal rope, and still shave hair. So it sounds like I put a lot of emphasis on testing because I do want them to perform. I don't want a blade to fail. So do you what, Do you have a Rockwell tester? No. I was curious what do you suspect your... They they will be right around 5960. Uh, I'm pretty confident in that. There's not a good place to test on a forged blade, especially differentially hardened, because only the edge is hardened and, you know, it's not a good place to test. But, but doing the performance test like that assure me that that edge, even though it's thin, will hold up to, you know, chopping antler is abuse. <laughs> it really yeah. is. And, and one could one could make the argument that the only reason there is an RC test is to give you an indirect, give you indirect evidence that a knife will perform. Right. If you're actually testing it and it's actually performing, then what the hell do you care about right. the RC right. for. If you chop antler and pine knots, that blade, there is nothing else that, if that blade doesn't chip during that, it's, it will hold up to anything yeah. you should be using a knife. So who right. cares what the RC right. is? Yeah. And you put it, you summed up my thoughts very bluntly, but that's, I really don't care about RC numbers. I just want them to work. Right. Yeah. So so they get tested. Sisal rope is actually very abrasive, and it will microchip an edge after 100 cuts or so if, you're, if your heat treats off and your temper's off. Mm-hmm. Um, sisal rope is quite abrasive, so if it, if they'll hold up to the sisal rope and the pine knots and the antler, they're good to go. Now, now you're heat treating in what uh, what methods are you using? Right now, I'm using a forge that was carefully <coughs> built by Dave Lish, who's a journeyman smith mm-hmm. and a very accomplished blacksmith. Um, and I have it digitally controlled; it's very very accurate. I do have I'm I'm one part away from functioning salt tanks. Okay, so. Of course, the clay quench blades you can't put right. clay in right. the salts, or you'd be a fool if you tried at least. Right, right. But so I'll, I'll use a mix of the forge for the clay quench stuff and salts, 
for the other mm-hmm. other steels that are. So you're so you're like a you're you're pretty progressive thinking in that in that realm. I I would say so. My knives are carefully planned, at least as far as I can plan them. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time drawing, even though I'm not very good at it. Like I want every piece to look like it flows. Mm-hmm. It has nice lines. The handle they're is very, they're very to the blade. They're very very good looking knives. Thank you. Very very good looking knives. I don't like things that look like they're an afterthought, or even though some things are, I shift on the flyer halfway through something won't work, and you have right. to make a modification. But. Are you um, uh, are you doing other styles of knives such as? I do a lot of hunters. Drop point hunter. Yep, that's where I. That's what I sell most of. Um, still highly embellished. Usually, I, I I put a lot of features that make them very user friendly. Also, like heavily rounding the spine mm-hmm. for comfort, knocking those sharp corners off. Um, this little filed groove around the butt end has kind of become a signature of mine, and it looks cool, but it does soften that corner too. Mm-hmm. So the only thing sharp on them is the edge mm-hmm. so they're very comfortable in the hand but yeah i do a lot of hunters and i actually do folders you do folders. I, I took i took a folder class with john christensen and now have all the tooling and and already a waiting list on folders nice nice and that would would you be making slip joint folders would you be making no these would be titanium liner locks um probably eventually frame locks and i, I don't really I like natural wood and Damascus and stuff, but I also like G10 and mm-hmm. stuff in the right thing. Right. I, I don't want to label myself a tactical maker, but I'm not afraid to use carbon fiber G10 and, mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. to mix it up. Right, right. I don't and really want to be that, locked into a box right. or a type. Right. And that's that's a uh, that's a actually very good thing to be being able to shift gears. That's a lot of guys can't do that. I think a maker should in, uh, feel free to cross over into whatever market he feels comfortable making right. or or it, it, anybody that wants to do this for a business needs to not ignore hot market trends too so right, right. and that is very very true that is and and that's the that's the Achilles heel of a lot of makers they can't do that they they get locked into a mindset and they don't want to get out of that mindset it's like the whole who move my cheese thing you know, they don't want they don't want to change they don't want to make anything and they think that the market should revolve around them Sure, and it's it's hard to it's hard to break that. Yeah, it's hard to break that. I, it's for somebody like myself that's up and coming. I think I need to try to be as versatile as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody that knows being a full time knife maker is a tough way to make a living. Oh. You don't have steady well, income. And most of the most of the um, most of the makers, as they came through, a lot of the rules for the different clubs were written by guys that were retired from something else, and they right. had an income, so they didn't care about. The money making part part of it, you know, it's sell right. four knives a year. They were happy. Um, are, are you doing kitchen knives and that kind of stuff too, or in the back of your head thinking yes. maybe that's somewhere I'm, I'm going to go? I've done a play. few. Um, I I don't make a whole bunch right now. I've done a few, but I'm looking for you know more high performance stuff. Right now, I only work with carbon steel stuff that I can forge and heat treat. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a sole authorship guy. Right, right, so right. I, I I'm uncomfortable with. Sending something out for heat treat, I, I guess it wouldn't be a deal breaker necessarily. But when you get your salt baths and stuff, it might be a little different. Yeah, I sure like to do it myself if I can. Yeah, but there's a lot of guys that want Damascus or carbon kitchen knives, and yep. there are some carbon steels out there that are just 
will hold a really fine thin oh, yeah. edge yep, for a yep, long time. Yep, and and do and do well in that. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. One more time, give your email out so we can send people your way. It's jdoyleknives at gmail.com, and that's all one word, no period after the J. Um, it's been nice talking with you guys. Great talking to you. And then if is there any place on the Internet where people can look at pictures of your knives? Yes, I am a member of five of the biggest knife discussion forums, bladeforums.com, um, Knife Forums, Knife Dogs, and the Knife Network. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. You bet. Thanks for having me, guys. Enjoy your stay. Some folks say that Willie Bree was the baddest motherfucker the world ever seen. But I want you to hold on to your feet. Hold on to them tight. you now get ready to see the story of me. Yes, me. The This was a rough one to beep out, so we're going to have 20 of them. <laughs> yeah, so people, we're here with our uh, good friend, Lon Humphrey. Uh, we've talked about him a lot on the podcast, but he was having technical difficulties. And <laughs> have you even heard an episode yet? No. I right. haven't. <laughs> I just downloaded the app to be able to listen to him. Okay. On, on his phone. Yeah. I, I helped and, him out the other he helped day. Okay. <laughs> it was like, go here, go there, go this, put this, type this in. Wow. It works. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, uh, I met Lon Humphrey last uh, September at the Bark River Grind-In. Coincidentally, we're at another Grind-In. And uh, I've stolen heavily from Lon. <laughs> but I, I admit it. Yeah. You know. Well, that's... And that makes it okay. Yeah. And, and we steal from each other. Yeah, I mean, but, like, as long yeah. as you're saying, like, look, I learned this from mm-hmm. so-and-so, and you give them credit right. every time you talk. It's right. You know, so, um, and I just bought a knife from Lon that I'm going to do a video on. It's like so sexy. Uh, it's Lon does the. Um, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Of course, he doesn't know it yet. Um, but oh, he will. He does the forged uh, finger guards, and it's like uh, if you if you picture um, your rifle, and there's a trigger guard. And the front, the front of the trigger guard there. That's that's basically what it is. Only his are um, like burnished and nice and soft, and it's basically wider than the blade, uh, but but um, nice and smooth. And right. it's it's a way of having a guard without monkeying around with soldering and all these other things. So and it just it it gives it that rough kind of unfinished look. Yep. Um, and I learned that from a mastersmith from Kentucky by the name of Joe Kiesler, okay. who is 
coincidentally, the president of the ABS this go-round. Okay. Um, hell of a nice guy. Uh-huh. More, more than willing to teach anything to anybody. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I, I've uh, picked Lon's brain quite a bit. <laughs> I'm probably don't pick too much. Pest level. Don't, yeah, don't there's, pick there's too not, much. There's, there's not, not much there. <laughs> it could be, could cause his head could cave in. <laughs> this is true. This morning especially. Yeah. Did you have a, a mite bit too much to? I had too much partying last night. I had too quite a bit of Glen Levitt scotch last night. Oh, good man. Okay. Good man. That's why you're so functional today. Right. Yeah. If that had been anything else. Yeah, be dead. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be here today. Yeah. So, uh, vomitus comitatus. Mm-hmm. Well, before before we get too far into this, why don't why don't we tell people how they can find you and pictures of your knives? Um, you can go to my website, mm-hmm. which is lawnhumperyknives.com, or you can search me on Facebook, uh, Lawn Humphrey Custom Knives. Will you friend everybody, or do you have to like you? They have to like my page. Oh. Right. But, it's like, got, it's but like, you don't care if, like, you're not, like, best friends with someone on no. Facebook and then you have to, like... No. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, I don't care. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty easy to find. Right, you know, yeah. The, 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 um, the forums, I do several forums for the knife guys. Uh-huh. Are you, um, you're on Knife Dogs. I am a member, but I don't post there. Mine are uh, knife forums, blade forums, and Jersey Devil. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm a member of all three of those, but I don't post too much because there's all this, like, yeah. crazy drama. and like, yeah. it, you're, For me, it's like it can only hurt me. Because <laughs> no matter how, t- how many times you tell people, like, look, I don't, I'm just getting started. I'm not an expert in this. Mm. They'll still freaking wolf pack me. Right. So I just, yeah. I just don't even bother. Yeah. I give up on saying that. What's that? Say, I give up on that, saying I'm not an expert. Though I don't give a shit about wolf packing me. I just say you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> you're a stupid we, ass, dumbass. We, we have a different approach. <laughs> yeah. Like I just don't want the conflict. I ignore <laughs> it. I honestly ignore it. If, yeah, if somebody puts really something is. stupid, it's just better to ignore. That is that has definitely been my that's been my position forever. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. Um, you can't argue with an idiot. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because somebody walking by or reading the post might not know the difference. Yeah, that's right. Twain said that, I think. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and that's good words to live by. Yeah, but I just, it's not worth my time to even bother with it, honestly. I'll, I'll go very rarely while I post something, but I don't post anything like... Yeah, usually when you post, there's like chimp screams after that. Yeah, like... Like for some reason, if I post should, anything, your like, signature file should be "Chimp screams to follow." Yeah, well, and what? Well, so like the thing that really turned me off to posting on the interwebs. Well, one of them was uh, on Jim's site. Jim actually owned the site, and so I I make these stupid videos. Like they're stupid. You know, it's for my kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know why everybody thinks that like, you know, because you put a video out there, it's like. But anyway, so I posted this video about like. You know things that things that are in my bag um, when I go somewhere foreign, foreign, right? Because mm-hmm. I travel a lot. But um, like for some reason, this video, like after like two hours, I put it up, had like fifteen thousand hits, and I'm like, oh my god, what just <laughs> happened? 
And, uh, you know, and then it just kept getting more and more and more and more. And then I got this email from Blade Magazine with a link to my video in it. And apparently they looked at it and sent it out, like, all over the world. And then there was this big chimp, uh, chimp scream on uh, Jim's forum that I didn't even know about. And there, were, <laughs> there was all these guys sitting there calling me all these names and stuff. I'm like, screw you guys. <laughs> and so I just, I don't even bother anymore. Yeah. But, uh but uh, your knives are, you, you have some really unique looking stuff, uh, all forged. First of all, first off, I should say that he's a journeyman smith. Yeah, journeyman smith. He's making a, his quest to become a master smith. Right. Right. And which is, which is quite, a, quite a deal. And actually, um, Lon is the guy that, uh, uh, it, Lon is the reason that I joined the ABS. So I'm not trying to currently trying to do an ABS path, but I just want to support the thing because my friends are in it. So, yeah. And, you know, even though you're not currently working towards your journeyman, you have to have a certain amount of time in with the organization before you can test. Right. So three years from now, you might be at the point of, you know what, I wouldn't mind trying for that. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah, and then, and, then, you, and then you've already got your time in, and you can test. Yeah, and then e- even if I don't decide to do that, I'm still supporting the organization that helps my friends. So that's why I did it. So um, you're you're in your second year as a journeyman? Um, no, it hasn't been a full year yet. So you tested for your journeyman last year. That's right at Blaisdell. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I have, and I have to be a journeyman for two years. Before and you I made all the handles of your knives were all curly maple. Curly maple, baby. Mm-hmm. Where are you getting just all this to crazy piss wood? people off? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're supposed to say I can neither confirm nor deny that reason. <laughs> where, are you, where are you getting all this curly maple? From the Amish. Okay. <laughs> I go up to Amish country and buy it from the mill. Are you are you getting it uh, stabilized and all that? No, or? no, I don't stabilize it. Doesn't bother you? No, okay. curly maple is not like that. Curly maple is you oil it and it's yeah. it's good. You're good to go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I seal it with several coats of shellac. Okay. And I take all the shellac back off the wood when it's done. Okay. So the only shellac that's that's there is penetrated in. Okay. So he gives his handle the shellac. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where do you live? In Ohio. In Ohio. About central. We East will Ohio. hold that against him. <laughs> Why? It's almost Iowa. It's Ohio. It's almost, it's almost Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. And it's it's pretty desolate. Uh-huh. Actually, where where I'm at, it's. The shop area is... <laughs> the radiation levels are really high. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually old strip mine ground. And there's not a lot of areas to build because it's just old tore up ground that was stripped before it was, you know, illegal to leave it tore like up. That. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of those lakes too, right? Mm-hmm. But I've actually done um, uh, trainings in, those, in a lot of those kind of strip mines and mm-hmm. they become a lake... Yeah. And then you do, it's like the water's usually warm and fully encrusted with every critter and creature and ugliness. Big, huge, nasty sh- fishes, though. And, <laughs> and, and crappy color water. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I've done actually a lot of training in 
places like that because it's a controlled environment, yet it's not a control. It, it feels very uncontrolled. When yeah. You're, mm-hmm. you know, because they're just, it's like diving in a shithole. Yeah. Well, in, in Iowa, we have uh, quarries, rock right. quarries, and right. it's the same thing. But you know what those are awesome for? Off-road motorcycles. Because mm-hmm. they've got big, there's one that's a sand quarry that's right by me that, They'll have like a big, huge mountain of sand, and you jump from one to the other, and like, <laughs> so that's. I bet you there's a lot of good ATV parks down there. Um, not up around there because it literally they'll they dig a channel. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Out, and it's you know seventy feet straight up. Okay, so you, there's you, no monkey business yeah. there. Yeah, and full of water. Yeah. Some of good fishing. Like uh, bass. no, generally the water's so screwed up because of the coal. Okay. It's very acidic, and okay. fish can't, can't survive them. Well, that sucks. So, yeah, they just totally come in and rape the ground. Yeah, it's, it's, it. it's, it's like diving in crap. There's yeah. a lot. I mean, it's some of the water is just terrible. It's, it's oh. real. It has uh, odd things that grow in it because it can only grow in a certain kind of water. Yeah, like Gollum and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you're making the one true knife. So <laughs> <laughs> one knife to bind them all. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's the, that is kind of one of those things that, that uh, people don't realize. That, that, that The only good that does come out of them is there's spots to go huh? do some training stuff. Yeah. You see, where, where we're at, they're, they're mining limestone. Yeah. And then a lot of times after they're done with it, they'll some guy will come in and buy the old quarry for like thousand bucks and then stock it with bass. Yeah. And so like a hole and find an aquifer and all of a sudden you poke a hole in it and it starts filling up. Yeah, and then uh, and then the next thing you know, like they sell it off, but um, some guy buys it and it's like awesome fishing, yeah. but it's always private. And, yeah. You get sneak sneak in. Yeah, well, now, in, at least around our area, it's it's law that they have to come back and, and put the ground back to where it was before they mined it. I would think that they would do that. Yeah. But yeah. this was done pre-law, so okay. it's just all fucked up. <laughs> when you, now, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at a giant rat. On uh, we're, in, we're at Bark River, and uh, this is Jim's office. Um, where you're at, was there... Was there a lot of uh, unions and things down there at one point? Or? Are you trying to imply that a rat has something to do with the union? No. Like, okay, so I'm going to tell us. This has nothing to do with knives, right? Um, but uh, it's it's a funny story. So about you are rats. implying that rats. No, no. I, let me tell the story. Okay. So uh, I was at this hospital up in northern Iowa, right? And Iowa really isn't, like, fertile ground for unions. But uh there's a, a hospital was adding an addition, and they hired some, you know, the contractor hired some people to do the tile. Well, like, I go to this hospital in the morning, and there's this giant inflatable rat outside. And I'm like, I saw that on Sopranos. Like, <laughs> and, and the CEO was, like, freaking out and stuff. And, like, everybody at the hospital was, like, freaking out. They're like, there's a giant inflatable rat. What the hell does that mean? And I'm like, Google that shit. <laughs> I'm like, I saw it on Sopranos. Like, you pissed off the union. <laughs> non sequitur. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, knife, knife. Knife Journal podcast is about knives like car talk is about cars. So, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. well, um, what's your, what's your latest, uh, what's your latest cool knife that you're making right now? Mm, I'm working on a big buoy for the Janesville show. And it's kind of a double-edged raised clip big thing. 
Yeah, and it's uh, if you friend him on Facebook, you know, well, even if you don't know him, you can friend him. It's not like you have to be like best friends forever. Right? BFF. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, that's an inside joke, and you're never going to hear what that's about. <laughs> that, the knife that I bought from you, mm-hmm. uh, why don't you tell tell about that model? Uh, the Muley? Yeah. And they're, they're more, they're a working knife, and they're meant to be used, meant to uh-huh. be carried. Um, and it's just a really good little utility knife. It's like a two and a half, three inch blade, yeah. Yeah. curved throughout the entire blade, comfortable mm-hmm. handle. Uh, you know, the the handle is is nice and long. You know, you're mm-hmm. not you're not worried about all this like tactical practical no. crap. And it's basically to be used, and it's like awesome. It's a work of art. Yeah. Um. The did you see his uh, the Bowie that that he's got in like this like hidden case? No. You haven't seen that yet. You didn't show him that. I thought you saw that. You won't believe it. Like. It's amazing. It's got gold on it. He didn't show me that. I feel so butthurt. Well, after this, you, yeah, you have to see it. It's absolutely amazing. It's, Maybe it's, I don't want to uh, look at it now. He didn't show it to me. He didn't think it was <laughs> important enough to show it to me. <laughs> oh, it's like uh, it's it's all handmade Damascus. Yeah. And I remember when you were making that, like you had some issues with with making it, and so you probably had to start over. And like um, that billet, actually, I didn't have any problems with that one. Um, the subsequent billets, though, I bringing into some issues with some welds. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that that was the hip, was my first Damascus that I made in two years. You, you, have a, you use a press, right? You don't use a power hammer? I use both. use both. Yeah. What kind of power hammer do you have? Little Giant, 50-pounder. And then the press is a 150-ton press. So it's kind of a big model. Is that a hydraulic yeah. over? I mean, uh, electric over hydraulic, or is that just a straight? you got to pump it? Uh, it's electric. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's got a five-horse motor. So that's a lot of motor. Yeah. When, so when you when you got where did you get your? Did you have to look around for it and like. Um, I mentioned something to someone about looking for a hammer, and there's kind of a local blacksmiths guild with a bunch of guys with a bunch of equipment. Okay. And word made it to him, and I got a phone call. Hey, I've got this hammer for sale. It was a little more than I wanted to pay for it, and I told him, I said, well, I, you know, I don't want, really want to give that much money for it. He was going to take it and try to sell it at a, at a big blacksmith's roundup, and it didn't sell. So he came down to my price, and I bought it. <laughs> yeah, funny how it works that way. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but the, you, you got to see this thing, because the guard is Damascus, the... Everything about it is Damascus, and there's like crazy file work, and there's a gold in there. I mean, it's, yeah, it's really real awesome. gold. Yeah, real 18, gold. Eighteen karat gold pen. Pull that shit out. Yeah, thirteen hundred dollars an ounce. Yeah. No, the pen only cost me eighty nine bucks for a piece of dental floss. <laughs> <laughs> eight inch. It was eight inch diameter. Well, dental floss for t- for Terrell. Ter- <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm gonna bleep that out. Um, no, he won't know who Terrell is, and Terrell won't listen because he doesn't have a. He doesn't even know how to turn on a computer. Okay, well, a random Terrell <laughs> that, is, that is not connected to any Terrells that we know. <laughs> a random act of kindness. Um, when you are you are you doing your own leather work or do no you, no no I don't. It's, it's really work. hard. Yeah, 
I do, do everything. Farm well. Now, when you do a when you do a knife, um, I just want to talk about your process a little bit. So you start with a bar of steel, um, uh, like typical dimensions of a bar of steel. Um, I generally get them sheared up um, inch and a half by six. Okay, long. and quarter inch wide or quarter, yeah, it's it's a heavy quarter. It's um, made in Germany, so it's all metric. Okay, so it's a little heavier than our quarter, and it comes like with uh, like all this crazy language on it. Yeah, and no. very angry steel. Yeah, <laughs> with no sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, it, you you really have to beat it into into submission. That <laughs> <laughs> changes everything. But you ever see that that video about the guy that's that's saying all this lovey stuff in all the different languages. Uh, it's one of the funniest videos I think I've ever seen. He starts out saying, like, I love you and and in, like, French, and then he'll say it in English, and then he'll say it in um, Swedish, and he'll say it in another, you know, like five different languages. Then he'll get to German. He'll be like, nah, it'll, it'll, the, the whole time he's doing it, he'll sing song, sing song, sing song, you know, real nice. And, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, I have it. seen that. And all of a sudden he gets to German, he's yeah, I have seen that. Video. That is funny. <laughs> it's like it's like even the romantic stuff sounds like shit. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like they're you know ready to cut your young. fucking <laughs> head <laughs> off. Fire. There are just certain parts of the world that have had so much hardship <laughs> <laughs> that their language reflects it, and they have no sense of humor. There was oh my, God. I don't I don't want to get too specific, but we met. There was a, a some some guys that we met this weekend um, that have had some pretty hard lives. There is no smile, like there is. They're like uh, you know, it's it's. There's no smiling, no laughing, no nonsense. Like cut to the chase mm-hmm. or shut the hell up. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, <laughs> I, I used to I used to have German medical students. You know, they come from Germany, and uh, I try to joke around with them. You know, and I'd make like puns and and just plays on words and things and they speak better English than you do so they under it's not a language thing but they they would never laugh and they would never and the one guy's like I said something that was like he understood that it was like beyond like he knew that it was supposed to be funny and he goes that's not funny <laughs> and I'm like uh why is everybody laughing then? He's like, I don't know, but it's not funny. And I'm like, well, who are the famous German comedians? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, who do Germans, like, if you were going to go to a comedy club, who would you go see? Who is German that you would go see? He says, Galaga. <laughs> and fucking Malice and smash and stuff. <laughs> and he was totally serious. Fucking angry man. <laughs> he, did not, he did not understand that that's the point that I was making, and he just totally fed into it. But it's, you know, it's harder in other parts of the world, and so I understand why they don't laugh. And why their language is like, they're food, they're food, if you get a chance to watch that video, watch it. It's, I don't even know what you'd Google to find that. But, Google that. But it's but it is funny. Mm-hmm. It is it is a very very funny funny video. Yeah. So uh, okay. So how do nice. we get off on that? I don't know. Like 
I don't know where that came from. I used I used steel that's made in Germany. Yeah, oh, yeah. So he's using. So I just want to start. I just want to talk to you a little bit about the process so that we do talk some knife. So you don't use anything stuff. from Thailand. No. Okay. No, I'm about ready. Nothing I'm, from smooth Asian boys. And I'm about ready to switch over to American-made steel. As okay. as soon as this steel that I have now is used up, it's going to be all made. In Chicago? Yeah. I'm okay. going to pick it up in Chicago on the way back home. Nice. So um, so you start with like a six-inch by, uh, what would you say? Inch and a half. Inch and a half. And then uh, it's a heavy quarter, so it's a little bit thicker than a quarter of an inch. And the first thing you do is what? How the I on a full tang knife I will draw the handle out. Okay, and then so you, you draw the draw the handle out and then um, grind it to shape or do you just leave it rough? Yeah, I just leave it rough. And then and then uh, but when you're when you're describing full tang, do you mean um, that it's gonna have it's going to have steel all the way through. It's not okay. going to be hidden by the handle. Right. Okay. So then um, later on, you'll go back in and regrind. It. Right. Now I okay. have to take the, the scale off and right. the imperfections out. Of it. And then, um, then you start with the blade. No, I start with the tip of the knife. The tip of the knife. Yes. So you're you're establishing like what the tip shape is going to be. Um, not necessarily. I okay. just want to forge it down to a point. And so whether it's high or low, yeah, it, it doesn't really matter at that point. Okay. Typically, they they start out they all start out as a spear point because okay. that's just the way the hammer works. Yeah, and I get it drawn down into that point, and then I start on the blade. Okay, and you're you so then um you get you get the tip established. Do you at that point is that the point where you do any kind of a distal taper that you're going to put in? Or? Right after the, after that, and uh, and then you know if it's going to be a longer blade. I'll stretch the steel out, uh-huh. and then that will put the that puts the distal taper yeah. in. And then the next thing you're going to do is do the the bevels, right? Forge in the bevels, and then uh, after that, then it goes through the rest of the process. Right. Now, for a for a stick tang like like uh, the one I'm holding here, um, mm-hmm. how how do you get this sharp point here, or do you just just? Uh, I've got there? a I've got a tool uh-huh. that I use. It's a um, a dolly, basically like a, a hand dolly, but I put it underneath the hammer. Okay. And I draw the corners in with that. Okay. And then and then you draw the tang out right. to whatever length you need. Yeah. Is there a is there like a standard width or uh, height of the of the tang that you shoot for? Or does it just it kind of just kind of varies depending on how wide the ricasso is. Okay. Um, and you know on Hidden tang knives, everything is built off of the Ricasso. Yeah. Meaning that the the Ricasso, the squareness, mm-hmm. the center line, mm-hmm. and we'll call that the area where the where the gird will set. Mm-hmm. Area fifty one. Right. Yeah. Um, I can either confirm or deny that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all. It all comes off of this. Uh-huh. Square piece of steel, right? And that determines everything else about the knife. And it's pretty important not to mess up. That's right. the seed. That is. Yeah. That's the seed of that's the knife. your foundation of your knife. Okay. And then, um, if you if you if you're doing a guard on a knife, um, moving moving you know 
you've, you've basically ground the shape out that you want. Now you're going to make the guard. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've made a few guards for some gaucho knives. It's a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're sitting there with, like, a file and, like... Um, I try to use a mill as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm a cheater. Yeah, but no, but what I'm saying is, like, now, now you know, in the... Then you gotta. Now you gotta get a mill. I, then you gotta have a mill. But, like, yeah. but my mill. Have you seen my mill? Uh huh. I brought it with me. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, I got a look. It's like this big. It's a micro mill. Is it commercially available? No. He had to make it. No, I didn't. I bought it. Huh. Yeah, I think they are. I think they're. Oh, you can buy. Yeah, I think I'm gonna take some pictures yeah. of that and Google that. Yeah. But, uh, what brand is that? Hmm? What brand is that mill? I don't know. I have no idea what, what they are. I, I bought it from uh, Perry Elder, or Perry Elder's widow. Taking advantage of a widow. Well, Gary Wheeler sold it to me. <laughs> <laughs> he did the deal. Work, he? Yeah. yeah, I like Gary. Gary is a piece of work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I try, to, I try to use as much precision as equipment as I can on that specific area because it's such a very difficult to do it and do it well Mm -hmm. to get that seamless fit yeah I'll spend uh, on the gaucho knives that I made and the reason I've only made like half a dozen of them is uh, I'll spend like two hours getting that guard to fit perfectly Mm -hmm. and it's and then at the end of it even if you wear gloves your hands are so beat up that you can't do anything for like two days Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, why I was there's, asking that. There's a lot of tricks mm-hmm. that go into that. Yeah, someday I'm going to go to his shop and see all of his trickery, but I won't tell all your secrets. <laughs> uh, just a couple. Um, so how long how long have you been uh, running running a knife forge and all that? Um, I started forging when I was 13. Wow. Just, you know, beating on a piece of railroad track and a, Forge that I built out of fifty-five gallon drum and repurposing. All right. What, what was you? What was the thing that brought you away from repurposing? When I ground, I don't know, twenty-five knives out of old uh, leaf springs, quenched them, and they cracked every fucking one of them. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> You'll learn that the hard hey, way. I've already I've already transitioned to growing skills, <laughs> and uh, I am no longer making anything out of normal blades. Yeah, but, but that was I mean that was an important process for me to go through. Right, and and, yeah. and I think there, there's really nothing wrong with repurposing steel when you're at the level to where you're making prison ships. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking your knives by saying that. Everybody starts off making crap. Yeah, I, you know, every first knife is a piece of shit and it gets thrown away. Yeah. So, and I've told guys, you know what? Don't even get tool steel. Go down yeah. to the machine shop and get your bar of mild steel and make it out of that. Yeah. Make your mistakes on cheap stuff. Right. Or you even understanding the way metal, the metal moves when it gets hot and you're hitting it with a hammer. Right. Is can be learned on any piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, and you know. and the, the reason I started with mower blades is because my next door neighbor runs a mower repair shop out of his garage, and he's always got he always had like stacks and stacks of mower blades, and I'm like, and he just would throw them away, and I'm like, well, hey, I'll you know, what do you want for those? And he's like, I'll just give them to you. Mm-hmm. And so 
that's that's why I started with those, and then, you know, you gradually. I I didn't want to buy like a whole bunch of expensive stuff before I knew that it was going to be a possibility for me to make something. Mm-hmm. And so I you know I built my own forge out of a piece of stove pipe and all this crap. But it's a did you I'm, almost blow up with that? It, yeah, it's it it, yeah. it actually functions as a very effective propane cannon. <laughs> so like <laughs> when the crows are like making all this noise across the park, you know, like in the morning, <laughs> like, I'll go out there and like like um, I'm not going to explain how to do this because you might I might get in trouble. But uh, um, anyway, like I'll blow up the. It, it sounds like a cannon going off, uh-huh. and, like, all the crows will take off and go away for a couple <laughs> weeks. But, um, but, yeah, so, you know, that for me, it was kind of important to, to start, you know. But then, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm no longer making anything out of there, right. but I'm not. I'm still in the very beginning phases of yeah. doing anything. Um, and Mike, uh, Mike's going to get me in trouble because he listed... Uh, he listed all the people coming to the grind in on this forum, and I've already heard flack about it. He listed me as a knife maker. And I'm like, no, I'm not a knife maker. No. <laughs> because then, then that's, that's like painting a big target on you, you know? No. Yeah, no, I'm not a, I'm not a knife maker. I, I tinker around and play. And, mm. have fun. Oh, yeah. and that's, that's where a lot of us, or that's where I started. Yeah. You know, it was something that I would do on the weekends and after work, or, you know, when I had some downtime. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. Yeah. Now, you worked for Blind Horse yes. for how long? Almost a year. Almost a year. Yeah. And that was when you, like, firmed up the idea that you really wanted to make nice for a living. Right. Yeah. And and I I was doing it full time prior to going to work for that. And I'll tell you what, um, Dan and LT, by giving me that job, um, really put me over the top as far as, you know, knowing what the hell to do. Right, know, right. In production levels. Right. And now, how to do 45 knives in a shot. Now, I've never been... Dan has had one shop, LT had another shop. Mm-hmm. Did they ever combine and and have one shop? Or, no. Or did they always be separate? Was, it was always separate. So were you, Dan, were you grinding with Dan or with LT? I was working with Dan. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, but you 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 learned a lot about oh, the production. And, yeah. And that's um. I'm gonna just give a plug for the grind in. Like uh, it. I'm years and years and years ahead of where I should be because I I've come to a couple grind ins and I'm like, they're spy missions for me. I'm not gonna couch it as anything else. I'm mm-hmm. I'm learning, you know. And right. uh, you so figure out what the what the uh, the jeweler's use is that they use on the bucking wheels. I have I have I have like an idea but I don't know I don't have a source for it yet. <laughs> and uh, I'm getting close. I'm almost cracking the mystery and I <laughs> I've cornered Jim now like three different times this weekend and I told him I'm gonna drive up and like Pick at his office. If he we, doesn't we, tell me. We've, uh, he's pretty well trained. Yeah, he's pretty well trained. He probably won't give it up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a giant inflatable rat. Go to Chicago and rent a giant you know, inflatable rat. One of the things that I've known Mike for a long time, and one of the things I've noticed is very, 
he shares knowledge very freely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's and and about how to put things together, how to lay out a how to lay out a, a, an assembly line type process. Yeah, but there are there's a couple things that he will not ever divulge. Yeah, one of them is his heat treats. Yeah, yeah, his his uh, profiles that he uses. Yeah, <clears throat> no matter how close you are, there there may be only three people that know. Yeah, and they're all family, yeah. blood family. Yep. Yeah, exactly. and I, I don't need to know. <laughs> and that, then but. the the other is uh, is the um, the type of compound that goes on those bucket wheels. <laughs> <laughs> and they are tight with that. They they keep it in this locked yep. thing. And it's I, in the it's in the vault. Yeah, and you can't it's in you the can't vault. See into and it. And even like, even when it comes in, it's like so special that they have it not. It's not even marked when yeah. it comes in. They it they filed them. Dis- they they accidentally yeah. left the. Um, the stamp on one of them, and so I know a little bit about it, but I still don't know what I need to know to get it. <laughs> but it's but it's the unicorn dust is the, is right. the whole key. Yeah, the unicorn that. piss and unicorn dust, yes. the yeah. horn. Yeah. yeah, but it but it is funny because almost anything else is fair game. Yeah, but those are those are the two things that you want. It's got to have be something that keeps it special. Yeah, but I'm I'm getting close. See, I didn't even know the buffing compound was special. It is hmm. like. It's very difficult to figure out what they're using for me anyway. Not the grit so much as mm-hmm. what material, what the, the the brands are. Oh, okay. But uh, anyway, so that's been uh, I've been working on that for several months now. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the vault. Yeah, but but see the thing is is I think he'll answer a lot of questions and then most people will never get to the point where they know the right question to ask. Mm-hmm. That's the right question. <laughs> you know, so because I'm, I'm, you know, I watch everything. You know, I'm sitting there. Anytime that anybody's doing anything, I'm watching. I know what they're, and I learned like so much this weekend just from one little. I ground one knife, and that's it. And right. I learned so much by watching what those guys were doing and where the, what they did once they took it here, and you know all the little things. But uh, there's well, still especially, especially the. The um, watching them grind, like the the rampage, the whatever you call those blade, those grinds that were in the tracker knife. Yeah, were extremely difficult, and yeah. they did three different, three different ways, three different it. variants of that. Yeah, notch. Yeah, in that. But anyway, so when can we wait for your tracker knife to be? I can either confirm or deny. That. <laughs> I, I told Lana, I, I, I told Lana that I want to come visit him, uh, and then I want to, I want to make a video of how to forge a tracker knife, like because I think you could forge almost all of that except for a couple things, and then uh, like it would just blow up the internet. Like that would be like, but it blow it up kind of. Half half the people absolutely hating it, and half the people absolutely loving it. But it get get people talking about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, do we have anything else? Uh, uh, one more time, uh, your Facebook page. Lawn Humphrey Custom Lives. Right. And, and the website is Lawn Humphrey Custom Lives. And for our for some of our uh, viewers, it's not. H U M F R E Y. It's H U M P H R E Y. Right. Okay. And uh, thanks for being on. It's a pleasure. We'll have you on again. It's, it's always sure. fun. Yeah. It's always fun. 
This is yeah, this, this is a fun it, interview. This has been interesting. Yeah, it's a fun fun interview. Some of some of the things we do were not fun, and you're not going to hear them because <laughs> like, I'm not going to go to the work to put it up. And you better. Um, if anybody ever asks you to friend them so that they can give you some information, it's best to say okay. Yes. Yeah. Don't say I don't know you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs> See you later. Anyway. All right. Thanks for having talk, me on. Talk to you soon. Being here. All yep. right. Bye bye. <laughs> we could do it like the old Am- uh, no, what was that? Yahoo.com little uh Yahoo three part harmony. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. It sounded like a frog after the yelling yesterday. So uh we're we're here again, uh this is another interview with uh at, at Bark River Knives and we thought it would be very interesting to get uh somebody that this was their first experience at the grind in, just kind of a casual And not only his in. first experience but it was but he's not like from the realm of the knife world, so this right. is like an outside Not view. The professional of, realm, no. Yeah, <laughs> an outside, like a like a um, a non-internet geek. Yeah. Viewpoint of uh, of the knife world. Yeah. Right. And the knife and this whole experience. So and who who are we well, talking to? I want to welcome Dylan Cook okay. from uh, our little town of our little little town of Levering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was extremely interesting. I. Uh, until this weekend, until Jim actually invited me, uh, I really didn't know that stock removal was was such a prevalent way of making them. I, you know, I really, I've only been exposed to forging, and I've dabbled in forging, you know. Twenty dollar bills. Yeah. <laughs> you have to put it in the in the dryer with like some coffee. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, like you, I you know I I totally got what you guys were talking about with the starting out with crap because I've gone through that path too you know and the, the repurposing repurposing you know I I was raised by farmers so of course you know it's all about making something that you have work you know yep and uh, so this is this has been very eye opening for me to see that that uh, on some very nice equipment of course but but you can just you can basically sand. Something keeping the temperature yep. controlled, you know. And what, what I found interesting about his knife that he made was, did you you saw his yeah, knife? It was, it was cool. it's nice knife, yeah. very well. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it went into production. <laughs> 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 but but it was a um, from a person that uses knives perspective, and and it came out really well because he didn't start with a blank. I mean, he started yeah. with a bar, yeah. and it and it ended up looking like that. Took out everything that he didn't like on that bar and mm-hmm. ended up with that nice looking knife. Yeah. Um, and it only fed the process a little more because I see things in that one that I would do differently again. You know. I don't. I don't know what number it is, but I'm sure it'll get posted on because they post all these pictures of the knives oh, on, okay. on various sites. And when I uh, when I see that, I will I'll post that 
and on Facebook. Facebook on Facebook and yeah. say that we, inter- we interviewed you with that. But <clears throat> the process was uh, the process was real eye opening. Oh, yeah, very enjoyable. Yeah, I, um, I really like the atmosphere here. The, the folks that run the shop are like a family. Isn't it, it is. It's like the store that I work in. You know, yeah. it's like my dad's hardware. So. Um, Which is a whole other funny story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a very small town, very tight, and uh, a lot of fun to see everybody just kind of, you know, walking around with knives and axes. With knives, you know, jabbing <laughs> each other <laughs> and, and axes. Yeah, and and even if you're not like, uh, you know, super knife nut, like it's still like a good yeah. time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, and I, you know, I have I have so many knives. I have. Sort of a fetish. It's not a high-end knife well, fetish, but it's a. I'm just like a little boy, you know. I mean, every everybody everybody has that. A lot of times, we used to call them closet knife nuts. They they were a knife nut, but they never even realized they were yeah. a knife nut. I, I I worked with a guy one time that was like that, and and he did not realize how much of a knife nut he was yeah. until he came to one of these grind-ins, and then all of a sudden it just exploded. It was like, it was. It was like coming out of the closet. I mean, it was it was the funniest thing because he was all of a sudden, oh my god! And he just started dumping all kinds of money into stuff because he was he, he didn't even he. It's a world that he didn't even know existed. Yeah. And it's like it's like walking into something that you you really love but you don't really know how to explain it to anybody else, and then all of a sudden you're you're like, holy shit! I'm with a bunch of people that know exactly what I've been feeling for all these years. <laughs> yeah. Now he goes to meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 really comical to see somebody go through that transition. Mm-hmm. Well, um, got anything else? I got nothing. <laughs> you got anything? No, just thank you very much for the weekend. It was, it was a lot of fun to meet um, folks. I, and you know, one of the things I will say about about uh, um, having the new people come on board and getting a, getting an experience like this, a lot of people get intimidated by. Um, Thinking that they can't do this. There's no way that they can do this. There's no, you know, my wife has been here several times and made knives, and she's not a, a quote-unquote knife nut, and thoroughly enjoyed that experience. There's there's people that show up here for the first time, not knowing quite what to expect, and then after the after the Sunday morning, after when they're they're coming to get their stuff and saying their goodbyes, it's always the same kind of a. My God, what a wonderful experience we had! You know, it's it's it 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 amazes me how many how many new people come every time, yeah. and then they bring somebody else next time, yeah, and and share that experience with them. Yeah, uh, it's it is a it is a real neat and the and the uh, the fact that you can pretty much do as much or as little as you right. feel comfortable doing. Right, right. Well, All right. That's it for. Uh, for this, uh, this little interview. Yeah, this so, little interview. Thanks, okay. guys. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Okay.